To be perfectly honest, I thought somebody really shot me because I heard this crack. So I didn't know what was happening. So I started to run, and somebody grabbed the hold of me, and I was gonna, I went to, I was gonna throw a punch at them, and I realized it was my wife. Okay, here we go. Finally getting this episode out from 2019, one of the last of 2019. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Mike Perrine. This is the Everyday Detox Podcast. And on this episode, I went and paid a visit to my dear friend and colleague for 26 years now, Dr. Fred Bishy, at his home and home office in Staten Island, New York, where I'm from. That's where I met him 26 years ago. When I was 19 years old, I walked into his office uh, as a client and uh, I've been a super fan of Dr. Bishy's work ever since. And uh, he, he even used to have a show on Staten Island Cable uh, called, uh, you know, it was like one of those local cable access channels. And it was called Eat Your Way to Health. And I was so into it at like 19 and 20 years old, way before the internet and all that stuff. So uh, I would watch mostly television. And my father would be like, what? like he didn't understand why I would wake up early on the weekend to catch Eat Your Way to Health with Dr. Fred Bishy in Staten Island because it was just nothing I was into the year before that. I was into like drinking and music and whatever, the video games. I don't know what I used to do, stupid shit. Um, not that any of that stuff is stupid. Obviously, I'm still into music and stuff like that. But uh, what I mean was I was just doing, I was just burning time. I was burning time as a teenager. And all of a sudden, I found a deep sense of purpose when I started cleansing my body um, and caring more about the environment and animals and and, uh, and and doing a lot of self-work. So part of my self-work was uh, was nutritional work and, and, and changing the entire chemistry of my body. And I did that with the assistance of Dr. Fred Bishy. I was going through, I, I wouldn't call it a hard time. I went through a hard time before I changed my lifestyle because I was polluting myself. But uh, I was going through a time where I, an uneducated time, when I was just eating vegan, which was a, the most bizarre thing in the world in 1995 when I started doing it, right? Uh, nobody was doing it. I mean, there, there were some people, but it was such a tiny little group of people. People would meet. There'd be like support groups and, and things where people would like meet in the back rooms of restaurants and at yoga studios. Uh, it wasn't like huge communities now where uh, you can jump on the phone and there's all, this, uh, all these people around and connecting people from all over. Uh, you used to have to... You just have to work for it. Let me just say that. Uh, so it was a weird thing. And I was dropping weight. I dropped like 60 pounds in a three to four month period. Uh, I was detoxing hard. I was getting quote unquote sick a lot, you know, and I didn't understand that process completely. I had just started learning. And Dr. Bishy uh, was someone that I always remembered being a nutritionist that advocated a vegetarian vegan diet. So I made an appointment to go and see him. Uh, and the information that he shared with me just like lit up my world. I was just so impressed. I was so impressed primarily because the understanding of it was so, uh, it was so contrary to everything taught in school or everything that you would see on television. You know, it was just such a different paradigm of existence into what was possible with the body, uh, the way that the body healed. Uh, it was very exciting time for me. So going back to his home and doing this podcast, and I go to see him at maybe once a year, once every two years. I used to go a little bit more, 
when I lived in New York. Now that I'm in Oregon, uh, I have to make a special trip when I'm there. And I made this special trip, uh, and it was really nice to sit with him. Uh, we went to some deep places on this one and some funny places. Uh, we talked about how he just missed becoming uh, involved with the mafia. He actually was a little bit involved with the mafia, but um, he, he just missed making it part of his normal life uh, back when he was younger. And uh, he tells some interesting stories. He's told so many fascinating stories. The first podcast I ever did was with Dr. Bishy, podcast number one. If you've not heard that one, uh, we go deep into the life of someone that really thinks outside the box and went from a traditional life into fasting himself down to 88 pounds on water and having deep spiritual experiences and basically becoming the person that he is now. So if you want to take a deep dive on that, you can. Uh, we talk about, in this episode, we talk about how he, we talk about some of the concussions that he's had. And uh, he had a concussion from getting hit in the head with a baseball at a baseball game. And I thought this was funny. He didn't quite get my joke. But his first thought when he got hit in the head with the baseball, and I understand he was confused, but uh, his first thought was that he thought someone shot him. And I thought, how Staten Island? Of course he thought someone shot you. He thought he got whacked at a, at a baseball game. And I kind of like said that to him in the podcast that I could tell he was like, no, nah, what are you talking about? But um, anyway, I thought it was funny. Uh, and we talk about, him and spirituality and deep fasting and overcoming extreme dyslexia um, and and working through like spiritually and emotionally working through a lot of the anger he had around um, trying to be in the world and not being able to like speak and think properly and how he overcame that with diet, nutrition and fasting and cleansing. So uh, it's a really great episode. We end with uh, a really powerful Q&A session. This is a long one too. Like we really push it. Like this was a three-hour podcast. I cut it down to just under two hours. Uh, but we go into a really good deep Q&A session from everyone on Instagram. So people had asked questions. Thank you so much. You asked really amazing questions. There was like 60, 70 questions, something like that. I don't remember exactly how many. We did like four of them or five of them. Like because, you know, it's it would just be way too long. But all the questions were amazing. So thank you for those. We start the podcast where he gives his very strong opinions on uh, the keto diet. So uh, I'm definitely going to clip that up and throw that on Instagram because some very, very... Uh, very profound and intelligent observations on what people are doing with uh, with the keto diet. So uh, before we jump in, I'm just going to do a little bit of business here. Uh, if you want to support this podcast, of course, please visit us at rootsandskyclothing.com. We have podcast t-shirts there. We also have podcasts. We also have, not podcasts, we also have t-shirts that celebrate plant-based living and natural living, like this t-shirt I'm wearing if you're watching this on YouTube that says organic across the front. Uh, so if you support this lifestyle, if you support uh, this podcast, please give us a visit there and it will help us so much. Uh, also, if you're in New York City, please visit us at Vitality New York City. That's VitalityNewYorkCity.com. Come and get some next level body work. Uh, I also have links in the description or in the show notes for the infrared wraps, for the uh, back rollers. If you watch my Instagram stories, you know I'm always using this back roller. I'm holding it up here if you're watching this on uh, YouTube. Uh, this is a great 
back roller called Chirp Wheel Plus, uh, and I have a code below. So uh, I only promote things that I use, by the way, guys. I think you understand that about me. And I've had a lot of back issues, and I'm just getting back into exercising. I kind of did a lot of traveling, and I, I kind of I fucked up. I goofed up, and I I, I lost my 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 fitness game. Uh, so anyway, I'm getting back into it, and to prevent a lot of the potential injuries that I get from having a weak back and having a spine that can slip in and out of alignment a lot of the time. Uh, I would use foam rollers. I do a lot of yoga stretches. They work great. Sometimes I'll take a trip to the chiropractor. Uh, but I don't know. Something told me to get this one, and I did, and I really love it because it's much firmer. It has a little spinal canal in it, just like a little dip where your spine can sit so the pads can push on the ribs and the muscles around the spine. And I got I get a lot of... Uh, a lot of nice uh, relief and opening and cracks from using this. And I haven't really had a lot of back and neck issues as I'm exercising again. So uh, anyway, if you are interested, there's links in the show notes and down below in the descriptions, wherever you're watching this podcast. Uh, anything else? Oh, I'm using TikTok now. You know, it's the next app. I don't know how long I'll be using TikTok for. Uh, I like to use it. It's fun. If you're a TikTok user, come check it out there. I'm going to be posting a lot of the smoothies and stuff that I also do on Insta Story, but I'm going to be doing different versions of them on TikTok. So uh, if you use TikTok, same. I'm the same place everywhere at Everyday Detox, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. And that's it. I don't use the other ones. I'm not like a big fan of Twitter and stuff like that. I just never, I just, it's just not a thing for me. Anyway, uh, I, am I leaving anything out? I don't think so. This is a great episode. Let me not make this longer than it needs to be. Let's jump right in, guys. I really hope that you enjoy it. You know, the thing about the West Coast that I'm noticing is that people really have, they really prioritize food quality and plants. So when you drive past people's homes, it's just loaded with herb gardens and flowers and succulents. And like they really prioritize that type of thing. We're like here where we're from, Staten Island, you know, they prioritize lawns, you know. <laughs> yeah, poison. Spraying poison everywhere. I remember my, watching all my neighbors, you know, all the time they'd, they'd, they'd have like a, a little fence around their lawn. And then you'd see the white powder go down. And then you'd see them out there spraying stuff and ripping they dandelions. They used to have a lot of fig trees down here. Now people are cutting them down. They don't realize. A guy I used to drive, when I used to ride down to the beach, there was a guy who had four or five fig trees on the property. And I stopped and I said, can I buy some figs? Ah, take them. He said, take all you want. Are you kidding me? So I took them. Then I realized I went by and all the fig trees were gone. What the heck happened? So I rang the bell. Oh, he, he died. He says, family sold the house. So what happened to the fig trees? Oh, is that what they were? I said, I cut them all down. <laughs> Jesus. My father cut down. The guy a... said, is that what they were? I said, you don't know what figs are? Yeah, I think I do. He said, yeah, he described them. Everyone is so disconnected from food. It's amazing. At least here in New York, they seem to be. Maybe if you go up to Woodstock or something, there's some people in Brooklyn that grow some cool food in their front yards. But, I mean, to cut down a fig tree, that's it's like a sin. My father cut down... And not only that, another guy did the same thing. The guy was my dog trainer. I used to go... He was living in an apartment, and the guy was another guy. had all kinds of fig trees. And then that guy, he sold a house and... Right? The fig trees are gone. Somebody cut them down. All of them. Cut them down. It's one of the best fruits, too. I know. We had a mulberry tree in our backyard, and my father cut it down because it was making spots on the sidewalk. Yeah, so he yeah. valued the sidewalk more than did the mulberries. I used to eat a little bit of them, but I didn't know because I was a kid like, how, good you know, they were. how good they were. Yeah, and I, of course, I didn't eat them when they were perfectly ripe because I didn't know. You know I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't making smoothies well, then. There's still a lot of mulberry trees around Staten Island growing in odd places. You know, I saw them when I was riding a the bike the other day. 
there's a path now. Now you can ride from Fort Wadsworth all the way out to Great Kills. They got a kind of path along the water, and there were some mulberry, you know, stains on the ground there. Yeah, there's a lot of wild food out here. Uh, Steve Brill. You know who he is, the yeah, wild he, man? Yeah, he's the guy that takes people up on the, on the green belt there. Yeah. Wild man Steve Brill. He takes people all over New York City and the surrounding areas for wild yeah, foraging tours. a lot tours. of wild lettuce and stuff up here you could eat. I don't know if I... Would you eat any food from Staten Island? That's growing out in the open environment? Yeah. I'd wash it off well if I had to eat it, you know. Yeah. You know, for a lot of... You, you know, you get up... All you got to do is come out of your house in the morning and look at your car, you know. Oh, you mean because of all the pollution that settles yeah, well, down? Yeah, there's a lot of fallout around here. So since we're here, thanks for having me over for a podcast today. Uh, a lot of fun. I always look forward to seeing you and do the it's... podcast, you know, just get the information out there. I always liked helping people. feel bad sometimes there's so much information out there that could help people that they're not aware of, you know. And then there's so much confusion in social media that is over, there's an overabundance of information that's very confusing to a lot of people, you know. But I mean, I imagine there was just as much confusion 25 years ago, 30 years ago. It was just in the bookstore. Yeah. You know, now it's like, now it's in the palm of everybody's hand. Yeah, but people hand. didn't have, a lot of people weren't willing to read a book. Now everybody just picks up their phone in 10 seconds. They could start researching something in a couple hours. They could actually have access to a lot of information you could never get out of a library unless you spent a couple months there, you know. When... I walked in, you started talking about keto. I get more people call me up about a ketogenic diet. and uh, You know, it's, I like to go right back to the beginning. And when I go back to the beginning, if the, the ketogenic diet, using fat, body fat for fuel, is a backup system. It's only supposed to be used as a backup system in special situations, emergency situations. If somebody's a type 1 diabetic, they, you know, it's a little bit different. I know people into ketogenic say that's, you know, uh, that's a little bit different. And not, no, not really. It's not a little bit different. You're, you're forcing your body to burn body fat as fuel instead of glucose because you're, you're a type 1 diabetic. You have a medical condition. Hunter-gatherers, everybody uses that as an example. And even in some cases, people, use, they talk about the paleo diet. They're always coming up with these analogies that are just snapshots of the whole situation. They're not looking at the whole situation. So let's take a look at the whole situation. <clears throat> are we meant to consume uh, fat as a main source of our fuel? Only in emergency situations. Dietary fat, if you're eating a, di a diet that's high in protein, high in fat, and you're not getting the sugars that your, your brain's primary fuel for your brain is glucose. The primary fuel for your cells is glucose. As long as you're producing enough insulin and then the body's able to work out its own chemistry. But all these people are taking snapshots of particular situations. Let's look at what the body is designed to do optimally. How do we come to that conclusion? I'm not going by double-blind studies, a lot of double-blind studies. There definitely is not enough variables. Let's look at the bottom line. Every species of animal on earth has a species-specific diet. And if you know what you're looking at, it's very, very obvious. If you look at a carnivore, you look at, you see that the amount of teeth he has, he has more teeth than we have. He has canines. All his other teeth are meant strictly for tearing. They're not meant for grinding. They have a straight digestive system, not like the human beings. They have 29, 30 feet of small intestines and large intestines. They have, we have rings in our system. With the transit time of our food, because we're supposed to be eating a plant-based diet, is slower than a carnivore. A carnivore, they just 
swallow the meat in chunks, swallow it. They're very powerful digestive juices, break it down very quickly, and it moves it to the exit end of their body. The same thing with fat. We are not designed to consume, I'm not saying eat, to consume in an optimal chemistry a lot of fat. We are already meant to consume a certain amount of fat. The reason the ketogenic diet is really very similar in chemistry to the Atkins diet, only it's got a new suit on it. They put a different set of clothes on it. That's all they, that's all they really did here. Now, what people are going to find out, and a lot of people are starting to find out, it's not going to work in the long run. Because your body in this infinite wisdom, based on natural law and the chemistry of the human body, if you try to stay on that diet, you know, why would you want to stay on a diet like that, a lifestyle like that anyway, if you eat a plant-based diet with lots of fruits and vegetables in it, and eat a moderate amount of the other foods, you're going to lose a tremendous amount of weight. You're going to get thin. And you're going to get thin in a healthy way and still be able to participate in eating the foods that you want. When you follow a ketogenic diet, you reach a point, it stops working. You ask anybody that's ever tried it for a year, two, two, three, four years on a consistent basis. What happens? It stops working. Plus, you have uncontrollable cravings for sugars because that's our primary fuel. I think probably what happens is people are coming off of eating everything, mac and cheese, pizza. But if they, they're told they're allowed to eat bacon, you know, it's very like it, it's going to stop a detoxification process. It's going to be very sensational. They're going to feel really full from it because you're eating lots of meat and fat. You know, so I think that's why it got very popular. Here's one of the main factors that people are not really addressing. There's a major psychological component to hunger. We do, 90% of the people do not eat strictly for healthy reasons. They want to try eating a little bit of healthy food. They won't eat a bit of a salad, maybe drink a juice. But the psychological component works through the hypothalamus gland in the floor of your brain. That controls your sex drive, your hunger drive. Once you get addicted to processed food, that, uh, that craving for processed food is a substitute for your hunger drive. That's why people can't do this. They can't beat it. Nobody's explaining to them the psychological component. The psychological component for hunger is almost the same as the psychological component for drugs. Yeah. Why do people do drugs when they know how bad it is? Why do young kids today taking a chance, you know, doing heroin or using, being exposed to fentanyl when fentanyl could kill you, a small amount could kill you, stop your heart and nothing flat. It's the same thing with, with taking place, in, you know, with our diet today. Of course, there's a lot of doctors taking talking about scientific studies. A lot of these studies are snapshots of the overall situation. They only got three, four, five, six variables. They're usually now, because of what's taking place in the world today, because obesity and poor health, they're being told by science that it's hooked up to obesity. So now all they talk about is weight loss. And that's what people are looking for. You want to go on a ketogenic diet, burn body fat, Lose a lot of weight, and initially, you do lose a lot of weight. But remember, I want to see somebody's been following that diet strictly three, four years later. Tell me how they're doing. There's not too many people out there. I haven't met one yet. I, and I, people call me up, and they say, Freddie, I was on a ketogenic diet, and it stopped working. How long were you on it? A year and a half. What happened? I'm still doing it, but it stopped working. What, they start gaining weight again? Yeah, they, they start gaining weight again. Yeah. So what happens when they start gaining weight again, they have this tremendous craving, and they start eating whatever. And when you see the uh, colonoscopy footage of Dr. Shinya, right. when you see the high-fat, high-protein diets, 
It's disgusting. They're probably gaining weight from retained feces in their gut, too. We are not, if you look at every species of animal on earth, you look at giraffe. He's got a long neck. He's got squared off teeth. He eats leaves off a tree. Every animal. Every animal. I, ha I found the skeleton of an animal in my backyard. I don't even know how it got there. I don't know what it was. It had to be some kind of a carnivore. He had all his, I saw all his teeth. I looked at his teeth. The skull was there. How big was that? You found it in the backyard? Yeah, it here? was in the backyard. The guy was looking over my deck. I don't know how he even got there. I thought of, initially when I looked over the top of the deck, I thought it was a deer, but I was down there, I saw its teeth, it wasn't a deer, strictly a carnivore. Kind of had, looked like the head of a small dinosaur, the way the teeth were, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely a, definitely a meat-eating animal. But uh, the key is people are deemed deceived. They're being told it's scientific. No, it's not. It's not scientific. We are designed to live by natural law, and your diet is determined by your species. Whatever your species is, you think you're going to take a tiger and throw him a bag of ca carrots and he's going to eat it? No way. Remember, animals are instinctual. They have, that's where they have an edge on us. We are cerebral. We think we're so smart. We can apply logic, reasoning, and all those type of things. So how do we work that? Oh, Freddie, let's go. We want to go out to uh, going down the street. We're going to have Italian hero and a big pizza and drink a couple bottles of Coca-Cola. Well, good luck. That's not, you know. Well, you know, a lot of people think it's a natural diet because they don't they think that what separated us from our ancestors and the great apes was eating meat and eating fat. So that's what they attribute to our success of having bigger brains. So that's what, I think that's part of the myth around it. My memory is better now at almost 90 years old than it was when I was 210 pounds working out with weights. I, that was eating a lot, eating plenty of animal protein. And, and was, I got, what, I've had four. Ago? What? That was what, 60 years ago? Yeah, 60 years ago. And I've had four brain concussions, had the last one just six months ago. I shouldn't be able to remember my own name. So, wait, what, so let's talk about that. You got hit in the head with a baseball? Uh, yep. A line, not a baseball, a line drive. And they said it hurt, it hit my head and hurt to crack from 40 feet away. And I didn't know what happened. I don't know what I went down. I thought I went down to my knees. Everybody said, no, I went down. So I got up, to be perfectly honest, I thought somebody really shot me because I heard this crack. So I didn't know what was happening. So I started to run and somebody grabbed the hole of me and I was gonna, I went to, I was gonna tr throw a punch at them and I realized it was my wife. And she, she said to me, where are you going? I mean, I would have heard her. This is I, so Staten Island, by the way. You, you were at a baseball game and you, you know, thought you got whacked at the game. I'm, I don't know why anybody would... I don't think anybody would ever want to shoot me. No, nobody would want to you shoot know? you. I just think it's interesting. But the thing is, and then there was some guy there and he said he was an EMT guy and Alma said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going home. But I didn't know what really happened. I really wasn't aware what happened to me It's about 10 minutes after it happened. So all I know is I, I saw everybody standing around me and everybody was looking at me and me, I'm a... You know, I guess the word for this, uh, you know, I used to be a pretty explosive person, you know what I mean? So I, I thought there was something going on here. Everybody's around me looking at me. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So the guy says, Mr. Fishy, you better go to the emergency room. I said, I'm not going to a doctor. He said, you better go to the emergency room. He says, you, you might be bleeding internally. He says, I heard that ball hit you from 40 feet away. I thought your head was cracked open. He says, oh, I went to the emergency room. And they said I wasn't bleeding. The guy said, you might have a headache tomorrow. And, then, and the next day, I knew. And he said, oh, if you have a brain concussion, it could last weeks, maybe a couple of months. By the end of the week, I was blind. I've had four. I, that was the fourth one. You got hit in the head with a, a, the trunk of the car once too, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. I got knocked out there. That, you know. So that was one of the, 
big realizations you had when you were experimenting with diet many years ago is that you started to notice when you eat when you ate clean that your memory improved. Oh, I'm a dyslexic. Remember, I was a dyslexic. And now you're reading books like this. Oh, I kidding me. Dense, well, uh, now I have. You can, I mean, reading aloud is not easy for me, and I had you know I kind of swallowed my words. And they, they thought I had a learning disability because I didn't speak clearly. That was because there's many different types of dys dyslexia. I didn't realize back in the 30s and 40s they had no idea what was wrong with a guy like me. So I was driven. I still am, to be perfectly honest with you. I was driven subconsciously, unconsciously to make up for my disability, to try to compensate for being, quote, quote, being a stupid guy, which I definitely turned out not to be. And I, so I was driven to do that. Now, I don't think that, because your unconscious mind is like the hard drive of a computer. A lot of the information that was in there, programmed in there that you were exposed to is still in there. People don't realize that. You just have to pull it out. And I choose to prove to myself that I was okay, that I was adequate. And what happened, I never knew what adequate, I never could really determine what adequate meant. I always had to go, keep going. Oh, if I did that, oh, if I ran 30 miles, oh, maybe I could run 50. If I did this, I could do better. Because, you know why? Because my hard drive is programmed, you know, from those days, you're never going to measure up. But I don't, you know, now I took that and turned it around. I used that as a driving force. To do all the things I did, the fast over forty days, do all these things. Yeah, you did some epic fasts. Yeah, most I did. People would but I was driven, try. you know. And I, 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 did them. After a while, I didn't need to do them. I didn't have to do them. I was eating a, the strictest raw diet you ever saw. I have no recipe. Just cutting up fruits and vegetables. Sometimes just eating like a gorilla, you know, just cut it up and just ate it. And that was because. And then the great thing about it is that I was able to do things. And there was science, just like this stuff came from Harvard, said you couldn't do that. So after I did these things, I found, the, did the study and found the research to justify how I did it. And now, that was 50, 60 years ago or 40 years ago, that was, you know, kind of like hidden information. Now, this stuff is becoming mainstream. There's a lot of science coming out now saying, you know, science, fasting is one of the greatest God-given remedial capabilities we have. Yeah, there's a lot, and they go into the oh, yeah. into the little minutia of how it works too. Oh, exactly. We, yeah, everything that we you don't have to fast 40, 50, 60 days now. They know you can accomplish just intermittent fasting on a consistent basis. You know, going like eighteen hours or you know whatever you want to do. But see, it's the same old problem though. A lot of people are jumping into an intermittent fasting with a ketogenic diet. Watch out. I'm telling you, you're playing with a loaded gun. You come outside the box, you got a, a loaded shotgun. That's you, but once you do intermittent fasting, if you do it consistently over a long period of time and you go back to eat six o'clock in the morning, watch your step. You're not be, gonna feel you're not be, gonna feel the same. Because you're cleansing the system and dropping in fat. Right. Dropping in dropping. No matter what you drive, no matter what you're doing, you're dropping back. Your body starts to accommodate the long overnight fast. You know what I'm saying? Once you start to do that, and if you're doing it right, automatically your body's going to start to adjust to the chemistry that you're creating. You'll start eating less food. So, but a lot of people now are using intermittent fasting so they can have, a, like, say they have a, a six, seven hour window. 
They're binging in there. They're eating all kinds of things to satisfy the psychological component of their hunger. You go, we got to get beyond that psychological component. They're not doing it. There was someone that just recently posted, uh, they eat one meal a day and they were on a vegan diet. They were eating sensible food. Uh, they just posted it on Instagram. But the volume of food that they packed into this one hour period, and it was all mixed up and it was like fruits no. and both. And no. I just thought to myself, I thought immediately, I said, this is someone that's never been consistent enough where they're really new at this and they've not overcome their food cravings because they're they're not fasting they because their body's balanced. They're starving all day. And then they're just like no. binging They don't realize what they do. Whoever that person is, I just hope and pray they stop doing that because if you don't eat for three days, and then you overeat and binge on one meal, you're creating poison. You're overeating. Okay, so you want to fast four days after that to clean up the mess you're making? But that's, in, you know, in some respects, that's like, there's almost the same psychology of being a bulimic or something like that, doing something and just regurgitating your food. You're not really, you're not really chasing the right reality. What you're doing is you're chasing to support the psychological hunger or misdirection that comes from processed food, emotionally, psychologically. It's a major mistake. I'll tell you, I never, you know, when I first got into all this stuff, I would, you know, the food cravings I'd have. Now, I had great results because I was still eating, I went from garbage to quality. But it was a, it was a long time of consistency. And you always used to tell me, you'd say, just pray to God to get, have mastery over your food and mastery over it. And I was yeah. like, okay. I was like, that sounds nice, but I'm still hungry. You know? yeah. But um, it took a while. Yeah, but, but you're creating that hunger. We create our hunger. Yeah. Well, I, I just had, you, just, you brought the figs. I didn't eat, I didn't have a drop to eat today. I had no desire to eat. Zero. And if, do, do I sound like I'm out of energy? Do I look like I'm out of energy? Exactly. It took a lot of time for me, but then after, yeah, about, after about, after, I've been doing this for about 25 years. After about 10, food cravings dropped away. Oh. If I'm traveling and I can't find food, it's it's not even a you thing. You go without. Yeah, you just go without. It's, but that took a long time to get to. Oh, I yeah. think, and people starting out, that just sounds, it, it sounds so unappealing to them because the massive hunger that most people have from living in this cycle of toxicity. It's a type, of a type of enslavement that we create, or has been created for us as infants. You know, we don't realize that, mm -hmm. what's happening to us. I mean, you know, I can't, I really can't believe, and I'm just thankful to God, and I, I, you know, a lot of people, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm literally thankful to God. What, what I was taken out of, the way I was thinking, the way I was, and I had a good family. My mother made pretty good food. But what that took me out of, my... Because it all started with my dyslexia, that I felt so inadequate and everything. That what that took me out of, and I was trying to medicate myself with food. I got into weightlifting. I was well over two hundred pounds. Was able to deadlift six hundred and twenty. Lift up a lot of weight because I devised a way of training. Were we deadlifting? Six. My best deadlift was six hundred and twenty pounds. Wow. It's all written down. <laughs> and what? But, but see, again, I was. You know, I kept trying to figure out ways to go beyond what I thought my limits were. I trained under worse conditions in a, in a cold out garage. In order to deadlift more weight, I dug a hole in the garage floor. And I was just taking a tremendous amount of weight and just hold it. Tremendous amount of weight. So I could train my body just to get a feel what tremendous amount of weight felt like. Then I was able to use a, a, a rack that I created and take the weight at different positions and of course, I, I knew how to keep maintain perfect form 
that you could run a like a plumb line right down right down where the stretch part of the body was. You know, the plumb line running right down, right here, right down to my hips, right down the way my legs were bent. Everything I ever did when I was lifting weights, I was fanatical about form because I was never satisfied with what I did. Never. I could never had a hard time being satisfied. But that was the driving factor to get me to, you know, lift weights at that time without steroids and all this other stuff. To, to my driving factor for me to do that. And don't forget, in the beginning, I really didn't know that much about the diet. I really didn't really know. And I didn't have the right support because not so many people around me were doing it. I, I went out on my own to do all this. Nobody was supporting me. I was hanging, I was hanging with guys that were all tough guys and who knows what was going to happen. They said, what are you, friend, Beast, what are you doing that for? I like lifting weights. I like, you know, boxing and things like that. Ah, it's a waste of time. You know, one guy says, what, what, what do you mean? What are you doing? Buy yourself a gun. What do you got to do that for? Uh, not for me. <laughs> well, because his, his mentality was you must be doing this to protect yourself. I don't know what they thought. They were more into, uh, you know, going out, and, you know, being a tough guy, I guess, you know, partying and, you know, wearing a pinky ring, you know, just combing your hair and all that type of stuff. And I listen, I, I'm not against anybody doing something like that, but I knew it wasn't for me. Plus, I was walking around, I was such an angry guy because I said, and I was angry at God, I was angry at everybody. I well, said, well, why do you do this to me? I never hurt anybody. You obviously you felt like uh, you felt like we like most of us do. When I we felt have a like struggle. totally rejected, like victimized or yeah. something. Yeah. Why did Why this happen to me? What did I do? And you and, had, you had an invitation to work with the mafia. Yes, I did. Because because that they sensed that's what kind of guy you well, were. Well, yeah, because I thought I was one of them quiet guys that was potentially dangerous. Yes, and I, I knew that for me it wasn't really good because I was so angry. It wasn't good, you know. I mean, it wasn't a good way to be, you know. It really wasn't. You had that boxing coach, right? right? And yeah. he influenced you, right? Yeah, he really did. And I got angry at him, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm sure he did. He said, uh, he was a great guy. And was, I was in the Navy down in Corpus Christi, Texas. I was on a boxing team, and I didn't really talk to anybody. I didn't really talk to too many of the guys on the team. I was okay. And then he says, Freddie, I got to talk to you. He says, something wrong. Once he said there was something wrong with you, I got very angry with him because I felt there was something wrong with you. He was talking about something else. He was trying to tell me, this is a sport. You're not supposed to try to kill a guy. He said, you can't, you can't act that way. You were trying to punch people's heads off. Yeah, I was like, sometimes I would even growl, you know, growl, growl or something like that, you know. It was like, you know, and I was very... You know, I wouldn't hurt a fly, really. That's, I, I wouldn't hurt anybody. And he says, Freddie, you got to stop that. There's something wrong with you. I said, I'm out of here. I picked up all my stuff. He said, where are you going? He said, I'm going back to the barracks. I said, don't come looking for me. I don't want to see you no more. I don't, you know, and about three, four days later, he come and he, it was in the morning. <clears throat> and I was in the crash school at the time. He shook my rack. He woke me up. He said, I got to talk to you. I said, I got nothing to say to you. He said, let me talk to you. I'll never forget the guy. He was a great guy. He was a black guy. He was a, probably the, had more in short experience I had with him. I probably had the greatest influence on me than I, anybody ever had. And was he was he military as well? 
Yes, he was. He was, yeah. He was a chief petty officer in the Navy. Uh-huh. But he was a born-again Christian. Uh-huh. And he was trying to tell me that, you know, you can't go walk through life this way. And he says to me that, you know, maybe God could help you if you surrender your life to God, that he can change you. Well, that's what happened. But it took place a couple, took place later. But I always remembered that conversation with him. And then, you know, uh, I made a big mistake. I didn't, uh, I told him to stay away from me. Don't, don't contact me no more, you know. So you didn't have a friendship with him. No. But he influenced no. you. Well, after that, I got transferred. I went aboard ship. I got transferred aboard uh, the uh, aircraft carrier, the Hornet. So that's interesting because the way that we've talked about him in the past, uh, I, I had the impression that he was uh, some type of friend to you or you worked with him for a long time. But just those couple of uh, contacts no, there you was had another, with him. There was another guy uh, that worked with me a long time. You're talking about Dr. Shoe, Roland Shoemaker. No, I, I thought this. I thought this boxing coach. It just made it sound like because he, it had touched you so deeply. Well, he did touch me real deeply. You know what I mean? Yeah. He did come to see me a couple times. He did keep coming back. You know. You know, it's. A, I it's, feel very bad that I wasn't really really wasn't that nice to him. You know? Well, I think he probably understood. Oh, he seemed he very he evolved. A lot more than I did. Yeah. I'll tell you that. He seemed very evolved. I mean. Uh, but that's why it's really important. Like, I always try to remember, like, and I'll say things to kids, too. Like, if I mm. see something or I want to tell them, like, how talented they are, how bright they are, I'll make sure I say it because those little things stick with people. Oh, yeah. I remember Oprah uh, had a story once, too, about some woman that walked up to her as a child and told her how wonderful she was and how beautiful she was. Yeah, I remember And that. Yeah, and she's like, no one had ever said that to me before, and it just touched her, and yeah. she remembers it to this day. So those little those little events are super important. I try to do that myself now. I, t- I speak to a lot of people. It really doesn't have anything to do with nutrition. They're just looking to somebody to listen to them. They can't find somebody to listen to them. So I listen to them. I try to encourage them. Yeah, so many of the consultations that I do are about life. Yeah, they really are. You know? I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, David Goggins. You ever heard of David? Oh, yeah, yeah. I listen okay. to him on podcasts. You ever, want... you, ever, you ever look at his life story, what he come at us? It's fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. What but that's, coming... that's all up here. See, a lot of it was up here with me. Once I started to believe, unless you believe that you can get yourself out of the situation you're in in life, especially in ultra-endurance work, until you, know, until you get to the point where you believe that you can control what's happening in your chemistry with your brain so you don't really, you're able to, to go through the pain, it happens, it really does. Mm-hmm. You can control it. That's why it's almost like, turn, how do you think all these ultimate warriors are, like SEALs and special ops, those guys? I mean, they take a lot of those programs, from what I've seen and heard, is that they take, a, I have a friend of mine that was in, in, in black ops, the, the first week, you get all these guys come walking in, they're looking to be heroes, you know, they got 20-inch arms, they can bench press 500 pounds. They're gone in two or three days. They got, they can't make it because what they're looking for the first week is to weed out all the people that think they're supermen, but they don't have it upstairs. They don't have that, that mental discipline to work your way through the discomfort, the pain, or in a situation to work your way through the point where you're in a, a combat situation where you say, I'm going to lose my life, but I'm going to keep fighting here. That's what it boils down to. You have to come to grips with your own mortality. And I came to grips with my own mortality a long time ago. I'm really ready to go. And I was on my deathbed already a couple of times. And I thought I was going, for sure. 
but I didn't go. I'm still here. But once you came to the great to grips with your own mortality, you're not living in obsession no more. You're not living in fear. You're not living in all the traps that people in that people have today, where they're living. I see it all the time. They're living in the in the uh, <clears throat> the mindset that they're gonna unconsciously they're gonna avoid the end of the road. That they're gonna avoid sickness or the fear that 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 causes to them. But once you get to the point where you you're dealing, you can deal with your own mortality. I I've already dealt that. I know. Listen, I'm 90 years old. And, and you're I'm talking, ready. I'm you're ready to go. You're talking about being ready to go just because you're so grounded in your uh, spiritual beliefs. No, you could do. You could come to that conclusion even if you're not. Right. I'm a, this, a lot of these guys that are ultimate warriors. I'm not saying that they're born again Christians. They're saying, you know, I gotta accept the fact I'm going into a situation that I'm, I might not come out of. I'm going into this situation accepting the fact that I'm not coming out of it. This way I can give it my best shot. But if you're going into a situation like that, you're trying to protect yourself, and you, of course you got to protect yourself. You go into it fearfully, you're probably not going to do your job, and you're probably going to get killed. But if you go into it in a fearless way, would you, want, would you rather go into combat with a guy that's absolutely crazy and fearless and not afraid, or some guy that's he's afraid you're going in? Me, I'd rather go into it with a, another crazy guy. Another guy that's, you know, yeah. That, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's the way I feel now. Whatever happens, happens. But I also realize I have a responsibility that if I say I'm a Christian, I have a responsibility to act and think like one. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about Christianity. All you got to do is watch them. They're cheating. They're lying. A lot of times they're cursing up a storm. To me, right away I know. It, there's a whole thing about how the spirit works in you. Now, it's not an intellectual thing. If you look at it intellectually, it doesn't make any sense. No, intellectually, there's no credibility there. By faith, if you look at by faith, when you tell when you tell God, show me and I'll believe you, he shows you nothing. You'll never get it. You're only going to get the intellectual part. If you say, okay, I give up, I surrender, I hit the bottom. That's what happens to a lot of people who get into the 12-step program. They hit the bottom. And they get in, they surrender. They give up what they got. So once you, when you surrender and you give up, then something happens to you. Like what happened to me 38 days into a 44-day water fast, because I didn't believe it. I went to Catholic school. I got kicked out. I didn't believe any of that. That's, a lot. That's, not, by, that's not by me. But then I started to, I remember what that guy said, what he said to me, and other, other people too. Other people recognized that there was something, there was a need in me that I was searching for that I was never going to find in physical performance. I was never going to find in eating food. It came, it had to come for me from a, in the spiritual realm. That's what came to me. You, it's my first priority. It, it's very easy for me to stay on a raw diet. It's a piece of cake. I have no problem. Easy. I Take me out into the desert and I'm staying on my diet. But my first need for me was spiritual to make me feel whole. I never felt whole. I was a fractured person. And I see it all around me all the time. I see people that are fractured. Intellectually, they're trying to solve all their problems intellectually. There is no, no resolution. How can you... Listen, whatever how all this came about, whether you believe in God or not, something, there is an architect of what took place here. You look at the human eye, you hold a newborn baby, the miracle of conception. 
Just look at it. You got to say there is some kind of a creative design. Once you look at that and you then, if you think you're smart enough, man with their peanut-sized brain to evaluate the infinite mind of the creative force that created this, I'll call God. It's infinite. You'll never get to the end. I realize no matter how I live, I'm never going to get to the end. But now at 90 years old, or in a couple months, I'm, I'm learning every day. Because as the consciousness opens up, you're able to absorb more. When you have a very close consciousness, you're very limited because you think you're so smart. That's why I see some of these people that, you know, that are writing, telling people what to do. I mean, I don't know about that. I think it takes, it takes knowledge about science, but it takes experience. And then beyond experience, there's the consciousness, spiritual consciousness. <clears throat> what religion is the right answer? None of them. I don't believe in re organized religion. God forgive me for saying that, but that's the way I feel. But there is something beyond our understanding. And the question is, can we make contact with it? Yes, we can. Absolutely. So something happened on day 38 of the water fast that, I've, right. that you've told me about since probably the day right. I met you that I've yet to get very clear on. I know it's a personal experience, but you were, were you like, you were fasting for physical benefit at that point? Were you fasting I don't praying? Even know, Mike, I don't even know why I was fasting. I was looking for answers. So water now, fast, I didn't have a lot of days. Answers. And, and then what, the number of people told me, said 72 places in the Bible to fast and pray, you know, if you want to have a spiritual or make contact with God or something like that. But I was looking for answers to give me a sense of self-worth and self-esteem, which I didn't have. Now, I, you would never know by looking at me. And I'm not saying this for any special reason. I made a fairly decent appearance. I was a big guy with a good build. I dressed up, you know, nice, you know, comb my hair right and all that baloney, all that nonsense. But on the end, in the inside... I was pretty empty, to be perfectly honest with you. That's why I, like, I hear a lot of people talk now. I try to avoid, I try to stay out of it, you know what I mean? I really do. So what happened on day 38? Well, I was asking for God to give me a revelation. So you were praying a bit? Oh, I was praying yeah. a lot. Okay. And as the fast went on, I prayed more and more. Then as I started to pray, I knew something dramatic was happening. Absolutely amazing was what was happening to me. So like 38 days into the water fast, and when you do a long-time water fast, uh, and especially I had done fasting before that, and I was eating a, a clean diet. So what happens after a while, you get to the point, you don't sleep. If you sleep an hour, it's a lot. I don't sleep a lot now. My, one of my major issues, I don't know if it's a problem or not, I don't sleep. I, wait, I go to bed, I wake up 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm wide awake. How many hours a night do you sleep? It all depends. Last night I slept about six hours, but most of the times it's a lot less than that. Mm -hmm. Depends upon what I ate. If I didn't eat much, there's a lot less to work out. So what happened? Two o'clock. Uh, I was, you know, I was wide awake. I mean, I was wide awake, extremely wide awake, extremely. You get so sensitive when you're on long. You keep doing long water fast. You get so keen. It's like you could actually. I mean, if a a bird starts singing a half a mile away, you're probably going to hear them. You're so keen what's or what's happening to you around you. Sharpened senses. Yeah, extremely sharpened senses. Extremely. So what happened, I was, I don't want to be too explicit, but I was praying. I was down on my knees, actually. And I was waiting for, you know, asking God what he was going to do. Well, he did it. All of a sudden, everything changed. 
I knew something changed me from that moment on. There was a dramatic change took place in me. I knew I was a different person. I felt, had a tremendous feeling of acknowledgement. It was just an amazing thing. I don't even want to go into that because I'll probably get emotional, but it was an amazing, I won't go, I won't go into all of it. Well, you don't have to. Obviously, it's personal, no, but, but don't, know, don't worry I, about no, being emotional. I'm going emotional. way beyond before I, what I intended to go on here, but a lot of people know that about me. So this is like those moments uh, where, you know, I, Malcolm X was a big influence in my life, and this is like those moments where, like, all of a sudden, you're just, can, you, you, there's almost like this union with, you know, whatever your spiritual idea is, and then you're just changed forever. Well, I felt my, was my, my, my connection with the divine was very, and it wasn't, a lot of people say it might have been his imagination, or it was some form of a illusion. No, 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 no. There was a certain peace and calmness that come over me that I never had. Certain revelation came to me. I knew that everything was always going to be all right, no matter what happened. That's the way I feel now, no matter what happens. Everything's going to be all right. I'm not worried. I'm not. I have no concern. But I have a lot of people around me that you know don't don't really know who I am, and they're counting on me to do things. My family's expecting a lot from me. Then I'm involved. I get involved with people that have no idea what I'm talking about, and it makes me a little uneasy because you're not supposed to be unequally yoked with people. It tell it makes you aware of that through the spiritual realm that when you're unequally yoked with somebody, there's going to be. There's going to be conflict. Fred, this, your, because I used your cam, your phone as one of the cameras, because I forgot one of mine, I totally maxed out your phone, so there's no more storage for video. So I'm going to swing this camera around to be on both of us. So we'll take like a two-minute break, okay. and we'll do that. Yeah. We, had a, we have a quick camera change for people watching on YouTube. We took a mini break, and we're back, and we were just talking about how Dr. Bishy was like, inches away from being in the mafia that story came up again what was going on back then well i was only a kid i was a big kid and a guy you know during the i grew up during the depression and we certainly didn't have a lot of money for sure i never had any money in my pack by pocket and i couldn't go ask my father for money and a guy asked me if i wanted to make a few dollars and he wanted me and two other guys to they had i don't know whether it had been a fire or what happened but he had this corn kernels piled up on a dock and they wanted us just to shovel it in these pickup trucks, uh, not pickup trucks, dump trucks that they had used for hauling concrete. I don't know what they were doing. Then they would take it to the pig farms in New Jersey. They, you know, they were real dealers. They were stealing it and they were going to take it to... So something happened and all this corn like just fell was, out of its case or was whatever. Corn, no, I think, I think they took it off a ship or something. I don't really know how it got there. I never even bothered to ask. And they were selling it to farmers in Jersey. Pig farmers in New Jersey. But they weren't, the, 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 that wasn't their corn. No, no, it wasn't their corn at all. So he said to me, you want to do this? He says, all right, I'll do it. He says, you know, uh, I'll come tonight. We'll, we're going to bring coal shovels. You know the big coal shovels? Yeah. He said, and just shovel it up into the truck, into the, the trucks as fast as you can, me and two other kids. We were only kids, but we were all big at the top, big guys at the time. So I said to him, what about the guards on a pier? Don't worry about the guards on a pier. Not, got nothing to worry about. They got paid. I got, yeah, they got paid. And corn, so, hopefully. Right, so No, they got, they, they got paid. No, I know. So we shoveled that stuff into the, into the trucks, and we got it done real fast. We did it real fast. I forget, like, we had it done by 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, nothing flat, but sooner than that. So he 
pay me, gave me five dollars. Yeah, buddy, I like the way you did that. He says, you want to make some serious money? I said, all right. I said, I don't have to hurt anybody, do I? No, no, you're not going to hurt anybody. He said, can you drive a truck? I said, yes, I can drive a truck. So he said, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to take it down to the pier. I want you to walk in to the, he told me what pier to go to. He says, I'm going to give you a bill of lading, a piece of paper. You hand it to the guy. He's going to point to a truck. He says, take it down to South Beach. Tell me where to take it. Park the truck. Leave the engine running. And just walk away. I said, all right. Okay, how much money? Don't worry about it. It's going to be a lot of money. Okay. <clears throat> then I went home. I started to think about it. Yeah, so wait. He want, Let me just recap this in my mind. He wants you to drive a truck next to something get out of it and just leave. Just leave it there. Uh-huh. Well, there was people waiting for it. Right. And they were going to unload it. So what happens is that I thought about it and nobody in my family had ever been in trouble. Everybody, you know, we were hardworking, very honest people. So I thought about it and I said, oh my God, what happens if I get caught? You know, my whole family's going to they're going to suffer for it. You know what I mean? I figured out if I got caught, I wouldn't really worry about it in those days. But if my I get caught, my whole family's going to suffer. I said, I can't put my family out on a limb. I said, that would be very selfish. You know, I, I so I called, I, didn't, I went to his house, and I yelled for him to come out, and he did come out, you know what I mean? They didn't even have a doorbell in his house. And I knew where his room was, and he'd come out, and he'd come out, what's the matter? I said, I can't do it. What? What happened? You're losing your nerve? No, I said, I can't do it with my family. Don't worry about your family. They're going to make a lot of money. I got plans for you. You're going to end up making a lot of money. I'm, no, I can't do it. You're making a mistake. Well, it won't be the first mistake I made, you know what I mean? So I didn't do it. So they got another guy to do it. He got caught. That night, that down that on that uh, run? That truck, yeah. Wow, so he did get caught. He, yeah, he went to jail for two years. They put him right in jail. I mean, it ain't like today. He, poor guy didn't even have a lawyer. They got some kind of a Mickey Mouse lawyer. He pleaded guilty. He went to jail. served two years in jail. And what happened, the two years he went to jail, he'd come out of it, he was like a different guy. Different guy, come out of it. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a kid like me. He, he, come, he came out bad. He came out, out worse, bad. hardened up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the end of that road for me. That was the best choice you that ever made, maybe. Ever Except made, for to marry yeah. your wife. Maybe that was the best choice you ever made. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so on, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to switch this up a little bit here. Uh, so on Instagram, which is where most people seem to be spending their time these days and their free time. Uh, mm-hmm. I started doing a Q and a there. I do a detox Q and a, I do it maybe once or twice a week. And, uh, it's been really popular. People ask lots of questions. I answer them through the Insta story. You have an Instagram account, by the way. Yeah, I do. I don't get on it too much because I would get on a lot more, and I had promised people I was going to put like a whole program on there. Then I started to see what was really taking place on there. I mean, people were insulting each other, cursing everybody, you know. Well, that's that's everywhere. You could ignore that. They they'll do it on. There's people that do it. I just didn't. I say I don't want to be really be part of anything like that. You know, there was so much I I could have said. I always look. There's so many things I I would like to comment on just to give another viewpoint. You know, but then I said, you know what? might not be a good idea, you know. 
I think it's a great idea. I don't. I, I would just ignore. Don't let anybody else influence what you do on these things. That's what I had to come to. People say awful things on YouTube, yeah, Instagram. Yeah. I'll tell you though, for Instagram, especially for the content that I share uh, about this whole lifestyle, about you and everything I've learned from you, we. People are, they're the sweetest, kindest, most loving community of people. Every now and again, someone well, will disagree. Facebook. I went on Facebook a couple of times and I, I saw what's going on there, you know? Yeah. You know, they have very different lives, these these social media apps. YouTube, uh, when people leave comments, uh, well, for, for basically for our videos, for the podcast, they're overwhelmingly positive. But for the most part, for a lot of people that put up YouTube videos, people could be really savage on there. Like th things they would never say yeah, to another human to their face. That, you know, yeah. Facebook people fight with each other on politics. But Instagram... Yeah, it seems to be pretty good. Well, I, I, I'm going to try more. I'm going to put out just positive things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instagram I is po seems to be very positive. I think you'll like the experience on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, there's, some, there's a lot of it I don't understand what people want to be... You follow you, you know, if they want to follow you or they want to speak to you, and I, 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 you know, I check out who they are, and I see some young girl, you know, that I don't, you know, that you know, trying to look uh, voluptuous or something. You know, well, what is that? Why would they, you know? Yeah, well, that comes from the culture of getting likes. So when you post something, like if I post a picture of pretty food, you know, I get a lot of likes. If I post a picture of uh, just my face, I might not get so many likes. Then my smoothie gets more likes than me, right? So the younger kids, especially the women, but even the guys, they notice that if they're posting their abs or their breasts, that they're going to get uh, yeah, that, more likes. That's a mistake. I don't know. Well, yeah, but that's that's for a younger generation. But the reason people would follow someone like you or my account for the podcast or something is because they're looking to get value from it. So what's happening in the more mature world is that people are either looking for diet nutrition advice, they're looking for uh, motivation and personal development, they're looking for travel pictures, people that travel the world and take beautiful pictures, everybody wants to see them. Yeah. So so they use it for that and they use it for I'll recipes. I'll take your advice, I'll do it. Because I, I, I've been on the fence now for about a year, whether, you know, put out a lot of things. I mean, I could put out, I could talk about fasting, I could talk about a raw diet, that it's not for everybody. It really isn't for everybody, and uh, but I would certainly like to confront the issue about, you know, the uh, how beneficial eating a vegan diet is, eat, doing it correctly, where you have shouldn't have any fears. You know, they they try to create, uh, you know, fears that if you eat a vegan diet that you're going to die from, uh, you know, lack of B12 or. Lack of uh, zinc or something like that. It's, uh, it's just, it would be so beneficial to talk to about be... that. And I can help you do it. What we'll do is uh, after this podcast, and I'll put your Instagram account name in the notes of this podcast. And if you're watching it on YouTube, I'll put it uh, up on the screen. But uh, we'll jump on Instagram because I told everyone I was coming here. We'll jump on right after this podcast when I have my phone back. And right. uh, we'll tell everybody what your account name is. And we'll, we'll get it rolling. Yeah. And it's real easy because you just it's hold my it name. up. It's Fred Bishy. Oh yeah, you got you. Yeah, so I put it right on there. And it's a really, lot of people said to me, "Freddie, create another account. Don't use your name. Then do something like that." Is that is no, that no, the way no. to do it? No, no, I'm not. You know, you use your name. Yeah, you use, use your my name. name. I yeah. want people to know that you know. Yeah. That. Uh, it's going to be good. It's going to bring a lot of value. I'll show you just in the last twelve hours because I did it late last night. I opened it up for questions for you for this podcast today. So I have about 40, 50 questions. We're not going to do 40, 50 questions. Do as many as we can. I don't yeah. care. And uh, we'll try to get through some of them. Now, here's what happens with Instagram questions when I do a detox Q&A. 
some people ask really questions that are just golden and they allow me to like kind of use it as a place to jump off of and I could, uh, you know, I could talk about something at length. A lot of people ask questions that are almost truly unanswerable because they'll say, it'll be like, when I eat watermelon on a Tuesday, I get this, but not on a Wednesday, you know, and you've never seen them. You don't have a health yeah. history, you know, so it's like, so there's going to be some questions like that. I'm going to try to filter them out right now, yeah. but... Uh, well, but, you got to tell people there's many variables that cannot be factored into the equation. You know, there's, you know, there's, there's billions of trillions of variables in the human thinking process. And you, our thinking has such an influence on our chemistry. People just don't realize what epigenetic expression from your thinking, your spiritual beliefs can have on you. It's I've amazing. I've seen those people that eat like a saint and they still can't get results because the, their mind is just so negative and so... Oh, like, that's the worst. You're better off you know, You're better off. You didn't eat such a good diet and you had a simplicity of thinking that was... Like happiness. Happiness. Yeah. yeah. I have friends. I, you know, I, have, I have friends that like pollute themselves. You know, like they drink, they eat what meat, they eat whatever they want, you know, a big round deli. But the mentally, they're so much healthier than some of my friends that obsess over food. And I'm just like... Well, that, that's what... Yeah, but there's a lot of people have emotional, psychological issues. That's what brings them into food. They think they're going to find the answer in food. Sometimes they might find some of the answer, but they're not going to find the whole answer. Mm -hmm. There are no panaceas on this. There are none. Well, let's jump into some of these questions right now. Um, I just lost that one. Let's go. I'm going to let's start with a... I'm going to start with an easy one. Uh, what's the hype with coffee enemas? So I guess they want to know, what what is the... Like, I guess a lot of people are talking about coffee enemas right now, and well, they want to know what the value is. You know, I, I think the coffee enemas, they've been around for, for a long, long time, but really, really started to get popular because Dr. Max Gerson recommended coffee enemas. And they found that a lot of people that... Uh, that went to the Gerson Institute, you know, were drinking 13 glasses of juice a day. And, you know, there was a, a just enough to get off the track a little bit, there was a woman using the Gerson program, I think it was up in Minnesota, and uh, we had a mutual friend that went up there, and they told him to drink 13 glasses of juice a day, and they told him he could get up in the middle of the night and eat and everything. Part of the reasons why they had such heroic uh, detoxes is that they were drinking 13 glasses of juice a day, and they were eating uh, numerous meals throughout the day, eating whatever they were hungry, and then they would have uh, detox uh, symptoms, and would get into a lot of di uh, discomfort. So they tried to doing coffee enemas, and you put you take a coffee enema, it dilates the portal vein, you just, you, the liver starts to liver bile starts to flow, and hopefully it pulls some of the endotoxins out of your liver, so you get temporary relief when somebody's an experienced serious. Uh, pain, you give them a coffee enema and you put a castor oil pack on the abdominal area, you get relief of the pain. But, again, this is going back to what I always say. You don't want to treat something without alleviating the course of the problem. So if you're drinking 13 glasses of juice a day, and nobody really needs 13 glasses of juice a day. Why were they doing that? To curb appetite? Did they think they were going to ultra-alkalize no, somebody? No, I, 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 I really can't speak to Max for Max Gerson or his, or, or his daughter. Yeah, neither one of me here. But uh, I think they thought that the more vitamins and minerals you have, the better situation you have to handle the problem. It's just not the case. Not just not the case at all. I don't. I don't know how anybody could drink thirteen glasses of juice. Now, you could. You definitely could. But and I, you know, I've done juice fast, but I never had the desire to go beyond four or five juices in a day, going on a long period of juices. You know, and 
Maybe they had small cups. Huh? Maybe yeah, they had maybe small, small cups. Small, I don't know. It's a lot maybe, of juice. If maybe it, small cups. I mean, but, 16 ounces of juice, so you did that 13 times a day? How, that's a... That's a it's quite a bit of well, juice. They, if you, you, I think you got some in the middle of the night. I'm not sure. Yet, but the guy that told me that went to... Uh, it didn't work for him, by the way. It didn't work for him. And what happened is that... Uh, and I'm not saying it don't work. I look at everything based on what you leave out. If somebody's... You can eat the bark off a tree, if I'm concerned. And you can eat, if you're leaving out cake, candy, soda, rice, cream, all processed food and everything, whatever you're eating, if it's clean, you're going to have an improvement. That's why all these diets that are around now, they're working. They're working because of what you're not doing. You know, you stop smoking crack, you're going to get rid of the addiction. Doesn't mean it's the answer to all your problems. But if you eat clean, it all begins when you leave out the processed food. You leave out all the processed food. A lot of people eating very, very healthy. They say, well, I mean, wow, am I doing good now? I had two juices today. I had a salad. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, then they go out that night and they have a You know, they eat... Uh, you know, you go to a restaurant, and they have a have a martini, and they have a, you know, eat all the food that's on there, and they have a, a for dessert, they have a, you know, one of them Jersey cheesecakes or something like that. Okay, so what does that do? That's like me telling you that I'm trying to detox from something by using something, that using what seems like an antidote, but I'm not stopping what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. How well is that going to work? Not going to work. Remember, there's a major psychological component to hunger and all our habits, whatever we do, that we're addicted to. That's a classic pattern. People are like, oh, I had a bad night last night, so I juiced a lot the next day, yeah, and then they come in for a colonic. I call it disaster management. Yeah. And I say, well, the juice isn't going to hurt you, and the colonic's not going to hurt you, but if you want results, you're going to have to address this thing. So now let's get back to the coffee enema. Do you think that there's any value in the coffee or do you think it's just that they're cleaning their bowels? Do you think a water enema would be the same? I mean, do you think that there's value beyond cleansing the bowels? Well, the caffeine is st definitely stimulating you. There's some people say the caffeine's not stimulating you. So whenever, you know, even exercise is a form of stimulation. So whenever you're stimulating yourself, you're accelerating the whole, the whole process that's taking place. So if you stimulate yourself and you're stimulating your liver to regurgitate, I, I'm picking that word in particular, to regurgitate, get out of it, some of the stuff that's stored up in there, you know, and how much energy is it going to take out of you? Remember, whenever you're stimulating somebody, there's some place down the road, some place there's got to be a reciprocal amount of innovation. I don't believe in stimulation unless you're using it in some way where it's actually medicinally, working medicinally on a temporary basis. Like if you take, you like, let's take kombucha, for instance. Right. A lot of people drinking kombucha. I have people call me up and say, kombucha is poison, right? Okay, what are they looking at? They're looking at the caffeine in the kombucha, right? Now, if it's got 15 milligrams of caffeine in it, a glass of kombucha, and it's got some of the probiotics in it, and you're not, it's not interfering with your, uh, as far as stimulation is concerned, you feel the same, you don't feel that, that heightened awareness, then I don't think it's going to hurt you. But if you're drinking something that you feel it, and I feel everything right away. I drink, I, I've tried kombucha. I drink kombucha. I told Rory, you know, kombucha is almost like a painkiller. And it is because of the stimulation. I know it right away. It's funny. If I, you know, I don't drink it too often, uh, but I drink the honey sweetened ones, the ones that are called June. They have a great brand in Oregon and Holly loves for me to drink them with her because 
it's kind of like one of the normal yeah, okay. normal things oh, I do with things them. we could do that's wrong. But, but if I'm if I'm feeling like muscle tension or a little headache or something, I drink one of those things. Goes away. Goes away. Of course. Yeah. Why is it going away? Is it because of, it because of the probiotic? No. 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 It's because of the the, the the caffeine that's working on the medicinal level. Do you think kombucha really has? Uh, a significant probiotic level because I looked at a bunch of studies about scobies and it seems like it's mostly yeast fermentation. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it really is the superfood they call it. I know everybody likes it. I like to have them sometimes. Oh, yeah, but, it's okay. Yeah. But no, I don't think so, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, it's not like sauerkraut, like a naturally fermented yeah. vegetable or a probiotic, right? Yeah. No. Well, yeah. the only problem with that stuff is the same thing that they used to do. They, used to, they did up in uh, Hippocrates. They used to, you know, soak the wheatgrass berries and everything like that. Rejuvelac. Rejuvelac. The only problem with that type of stuff, there's a lot of people getting, there's a certain point where it's reached its full potential with the process. You go beyond it, you're getting into spoilage. You might be actually ingesting bacteria that is really not good for you. It's no longer... Rejuvelac always tasted absolutely disgusting to me. Yeah, and, no. and I could tell, you know, and you never know what's on it. You don't know if it's sitting around, what kind of yeasts are on it, and what you're actually growing. No, that, that wasn't thing. for me. I never had a good experience with that. Yeah, me either. No. But fermented vegetables, as you know, I wrote a book on it. I'm yeah. like super into it. I'll give a jar of that to my uncle on Christmas. And he's telling me the next day he's already shitting better. Just from like one <laughs> dose of that, yeah. you know? Yeah. But again, again, if you don't know what you're doing, you make it and you let it, you let it ferment too long to the point where it crosses from being a positive, could cross into being a negative. That spoils. I buy raw fermented vegetables in the helpful store. I open it up and screen mold. It's rotten. Yeah, well, that, it'll let you know when it's molded. Um, you know, I, I looked at the studies on, uh, they, you know, they've done a lot of research into fermented vegetables. And it can go a long time. It develops into different areas of probiotics based on how long it's been there. So, And it, it has a lot to do with flavor, too. So the real enthusiasts, they don't like to eat it in the first 10 to 14 days. I do. I think it tastes great. But they don't like to eat it there because uh, the, the type of bacteria that initially starts to change the environment and break down the carbohydrates in there. It's, a, it's one of the younger ones, I, you know, young meaning the early ones that takes place. And it's pretty much done after 12 to 14 days. But if you let it go like 20, 24 and longer, it's a whole different uh, group of bacteria that takes over and they have different flavor profiles. So, um, But there it, is a point where it, it you know, it goes from a positive to a negative. Yeah, you'll see. You'll see. Back. I mean, yeah. it takes a while, but you'll see it go bad on there. Well, I have a feeling that it, it happened to me a couple of times where I bought it, so I stopped buying it there. So I don't know whether it was laying on a shelf for a year. It might have been laying on a shelf for a year for all I really know. You know, you if you make your own, which I primarily make my own, uh, they almost never go bad. I'll forget about one in the back of the refrigerator, and I mean, it might not be as bio, it might not be as bioactive as it was in the early stages, but I'll look in there like a year and a half later and find the jar. And it's just yeah, sitting there. It's just sitting there. You know, it doesn't taste any that. different, but it might not be as bioactive. But how, as the you know, thing. don't forget, you do, you did that on your own. You you know, you did the whole process. I wonder in some places where it's done commercially, if everything is monitored as closely as you do it at home, so they don't do something that could mess up the process. You know, would they do like you know? Would they do? Suppose you get some of the wrong bacteria in there. Suppose you get some of the wrong stuff in there and it starts multiplying in there well you know what fermentation does so if you're adding salt like so a saltless fermentation could be risky and some people do yeah. it but a, a salt fermentation with celtic salt or something 
once the lactic acid producing bacteria take over, it's like an antibiotic. Nothing else could live there. So yeah. usually only on the surface, if yeast like fall on the surface, they'll get a problem. But inside the sauerkraut itself, it takes a long time. Like it's, yeah, it's, I, it, yeah I, I, I believe that. I think you're 100% right. There's never been a... I, I love I love raw sauerkraut. I love it. You know, I, Even the funky I really... ones, what they do like in like, like the people that are making them in these big crocks or whatever, they'll make them with just dirty hands from the farm. And if it molds on top, they scrape it off and they just eat below it. And there's never been a reported case of food poisoning with fermented vegetables. I believe yeah. that. I makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me. Absolutely. Uh, and interestingly, that's kind of what happens in our gut, right? Because then we are creating an environment that's so powerful with lactic acid producing bacteria in the right terrain that nothing, no yeast is going to be overpowering anything. You're not going to have any pathogenic bacteria taking hold because we're basically creating that environment. That's the way we're designed. All right, let's jump into another question here. Um, has he spoken about cancer and breast cancer, the origins and treatment in his opinion? Yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think that the best path for somebody... Uh, that finds out that somebody finds out they have cancer and they're not yet leading a clean lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Do you think the best thing to do is to first do some medical intervention and then clean up the lifestyle and then try to live from there? Uh, I'd say in, in general that I would say yes, because there's a lot of people who have cancer. They haven't been exposed to either modality. They haven't been exposed to, and to, to, to the word nutrition is very, very misleading. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that anybody has cancer, no matter what form of treatment they're following, they should definitely go to a vegan diet. I, and and I, had, I had a discussion with a doctor in the health food store. He thought just the opposite. He said we were designed to eat meat. We were meat eaters. And he was bragging that he ate raw liver and all this type of stuff. I said, where'd you get your nutritional training? He said, I'm a doctor. I said, I didn't ask you if you had an MD degree. I said, where'd you get your nutritional training? He said, I'm a medical doctor. I said, then your information is anecdotal. That's what it boils down to. He was on a paleo diet, a combination of paleo diet and a ketogenic diet. Obviously, he worked out with weights, you know. He was loaded with oxidative stress. What do you mean? You saw, like, um, you could see his tissue quality in his face? Yeah, you know, a lot of lines, you know, and things like that. And wasn't that old, you know. Mm -hmm. Like you see in a lot of guys that lift weights and follow a high-protein diet, you could see it, oxidative stress. Yeah, you see the deep lines and the droop and the, you know, right around right. here. Yeah. Right. Um, young guys I, too. There's a lot of guys now that uh, weightlifters and bodybuilders following a, a vegan diet. You know, I see some guys on Instagram. They got great builds. You know, the movie Game Changers is about to come out. Yeah, yeah, that should be interesting. Well, I find it very interesting now. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is he a vegan? He's in that movie. I don't know if he's a vegan. He's probably uh, you know he met up with um, some vegan chefs that I know. So like he's probably. I think maybe he is vegan right now or eating plant-based. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. I do remember him being on Oprah back in like, I don't know, late 80s or early 90s or something. And I, was, I wasn't into all this at the time. But he was talking about how uh, you can build a body, you know, a bodybuilder's body. You can get all the protein you need just from broccoli. So he was already thinking about plants having protein. I do have my doubts about some of these people jumping into this now because it's, it's getting to be the biggest popular message, you know. So a lot of people checking, jumping into it, and they're using their uh, celebrity status to influence people. And I have to wonder how much they really, really know about it themselves. You know, about eating plant-based or yeah, how to yeah. really do it therapeutically. Like uh, some of these people, you know, 
if you're giving somebody that has cancer advice about, uh, you know, how to help themselves with their lifestyle, you better know what you're doing because you could really, you know, mess them up. And it don't take much to miss the mark. It's like jumping to another roof 20 feet away from one roof and you jump 19, 11, three-quarter inches. When you have cancer, you better make sure that you're, you know, you're consistent, you're staying, you create healthy parameters, you know, and I believe those healthy parameters is a, uh, um, a vegan diet with plenty of raw food, then to understand that you have to do the detox because if you have a serious cancer, you jump into a raw diet, you could actually kill them because they, you have to clean up your liver, performs over 500 different functions, make sure your lymphatic system is working, and of course, make sure that you, you're cleaning out your GI tract, you know, get your colon cleaned out so everything is up there in the other 18 feet is dropping down and getting rid of it. Otherwise, if you leave that stuff up there and you overwhelm it and bring more stuff in from the cancer detox, you could really hurt a person. I think, I think cancer is a systemic disease. And, uh, you know, you, when you, if you're treating a person with your lifestyle and, and whatever else you do, whether you're going for colonics, you're going into a sauna, you get into a hyperbaric chamber, you're doing ozone therapy, you do practice in meditation or prayer, no matter what you do, it's got to be part of a comprehensive program. Otherwise, it's like flipping a coin. And there's people on the internet, I see a lot of people on Instagram, you know, they're cancer experts with their lifestyle and they're selling your products and everything. I look at the person that's that's, that's doing it, obviously he, they're not doing it just by looking at them. So if you're not, if you haven't lived the message that you're trying to pass on to other people, you certainly shouldn't be talking to them about cancer. Everybody's a very unique individual. There's thousands and thousands of factors, different factors. When you talk to people, one of the first thing I do when I speak to people, and I've been doing this for a long time, I've gotten fairly good at it, is to measure emotionally, psychologically. Because I, a lot of people break down in tears, they're frightened, they're scared. And a lot of people just, they got cancer and somebody tells them to come to see me, they shouldn't be coming to see me. They're wasting their time and their money because they're not ready to listen to me. They think I'm going to tell them to eat an orange and maybe drink more water or something like that. You can't do that. This is you've got to treat the whole body as a very sophisticated biological organism. You've got to have a pretty good understanding how the internal organs and the, how the internal mechanisms work and how they become overwhelmed whether we got cancer. Tremendous amount of evidence showing that all the agrochemicals, all the chemicals we're ingesting, that's why I tell people, you know, you've got to eat organic. Oh, my doctor said that's a lot of nonsense. But now I think less of, How do you know it's really organic? Those chemicals, you keep taking in those chemicals day in and day out. And if you're eating a plant-based diet and it's not organic, just think about all the chemicals you're getting into your system. Can you get rid of them? Yeah, you know, you have a chance. But I'd rather not if I could do it. And it has nothing to do with being obsessive or, or you know, neurotic or not understanding the picture. The people that say that's not true, they're the ones that don't understand the picture. They're making a major mistake. Remember, your body is, is not a machine. It's a, it's a, it's a biological organism. It's self-healing. You know, self-healing can repair itself, self-regulating, but we have to give it a chance. Yeah, How we do get, we we get in the way. What? We get in the way. We get in that's the way. That's what it is. 
Mentally, mentally is a major problem. Our emotions are a major problem. That's why, you know, I, and I got to be very careful, a lot of people come to me about everything. It's severely, severely in a state of fear. And, you know, I used to, I, you know, I have some training hypnosis. I don't do that no more. I don't do it. And I used to get hypnosis tapes. There's a guy who used to get tapes from him and in the process of getting him again. Because that really helps you. A guy I used to work with in Florida, he died. He's, he was pretty good. Uh, who, who's that gentleman? I remember him. I've talked to him. Uh, his name is Michael? Yeah. Oh, he passed, he passed away. away. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think he... Uh, well, and then... But the thing is, one of the ultimate answers is to get grounded and find out who God is. Now, if he it doesn't exist, if it's not true, if you can surrender by faith and say, oh, he's got me covered. When I leave this place, I'm going to a better place. A lot of people lose their fear right there. Now, that's how I lost my fear. Now, if it's not true, I'll find out later. But right now, it's working very well for me. And there's a deep sense of relaxing into life right. when you have that. Right. Yeah. And plus, you know, I find if you believe that, the help program that you're reading works, works a lot better. Um, on topic, but a little off topic, uh, do you know about these humic acid substances? Uh, there's one product called Restore by a, guy, a doctor named Dr. Zach Bush, who seems like a very bright uh, plant-based doctor. He's like a really sharp dude. Like uh, He's been on a lot of podcasts. I really like listening to him. Uh, but it's a product called Restore, and I've seen some other companies make this product. And there's some. It's like an extract of shilajit. You remember that uh, yeah, right. that um, earth extract that yeah, they have? I know. And uh, those humic acid substances are supposed to bind up pesticides, particularly glyphosate. And I was just wondering if you had any experience with them, or if you knew about them, or I, I know about them, but I I, can't, I haven't had any experience where I ever used that. Never should, really see it work. So I don't doubt it though, because it makes a lot of sense to me scientifically. And the way I look at things like that, if you're in a position where you need some help and it's not going to hurt you, by all means. A lot of people call me up and ask me about things. I, t I say, what is it? And if I haven't experienced it, I say, what's it made out of? I say, this can't hurt them. And then I say, you know, I feel like it might help me. Then I hook on to their positivity of mind. So if I, they think it's going to help them and it don't hurt them, it might help them in itself by the way it works with their thinking without even getting the benefits from the product. So... Something like that. I'll, I'll try that. I'm going to get some. Go restore, right? I never yeah. tried it, though. I'm curious. I have a client who uh, her son was having all of this, these digestive issues, and he would always say it felt like there was like it was hot. It was fire in his stomach. He didn't want to eat any warm food. All he wanted to eat was cucumbers. He had, had an endoscopy, went to all these GI doctors, right? They yeah, know, I got they, a call like that this morning, just yeah, like that. They right. wanted to give him acid blockers, but so she knows better. So she Did you hear Marcus? I no, I didn't, I didn't listen in on no, that. But he just said that. But she gave him acid block. They wanted to give him acid blockers. She knew better. She didn't want to do that. And uh, so she brought him to a nutritionist, and he gave the kid some of the Restore product, and he just takes a little shot of it. Within the first dose, all the pain was gone. Totally fine now. Just one dose of Restore. The, the humic acid. Substance. And they well, didn't I heard find about anything. humic acid. There's other people who are putting out humic acid process. Yeah, you know products. You know what I mean. I remember when I was in um, Australia when I first been exposed to the mold. I definitely had probably double pneumonia. I had pneumonia, and uh, I here I was talking about health in front of people, and I couldn't stop coughing. I had this relentless cough. We talked about uh, that mold situation on yeah. a previous podcast. So if someone's listening and you're like, "What are these guys talking about?" The last podcast Dr. Bishy was on, we get deep into the mold story. So Oh yeah, and I, well, I ate a hole in my head. You can see I got a scar. I know. Right, you right through that's... my skull. So what happened? 
is I ran into a young guy. He said, I got this humic acid stuff. He says, it could help you. I took it. I started to feel better right away. Wow. I said, this is impressive. But I never really looked into it. But um, I'm going to try that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Restore is the product. I looked at the ingredients. It looks pretty pure. Yeah, it looks just, like... I just got a Google Restore and I get it and I got it, right? It brings up something else. Google Restore and then his name. I'll, we'll do it before I leave. Okay. Just so you make sure you have the right thing. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm all for things like that. Are you kidding me? Wow. No. You know, you know, Mike, you know, I feel in some respects I've been very, very lucky because when I first really got into this and fasting and all that type of stuff, I was very fortunate to be exposed by some of the best Europeans. And I followed them as if they were my mentors. I read everything they wrote. I studied, read every book they wrote. And they were guys like Otto Buchinger, Ragnar Berg, who was either won a Nobel Peace Prize or was nominated. You heard me mention them before. Many times, yeah. Okay, Dr. Carl Otto Ali. Who, and then don't forget the Stockholm Fast March. You can Google that right now. We had the first time uh, 11 men fasted 10 days on water and they walked 330 miles. The second time it was 19 people. I, there might have been some women and they walked uh, and they did 330 miles. Then Dick Gregory at one time, he was a political activist, right. fasted 57 days, he walked and ran 100 miles. I had that television show. Remember, I had the television show, Eat Your eat, Way to Health? Eat Your Way to Health on Staten right. Island. Right, so somebody, asked, somebody challenged me. They said it was impossible. So I fasted 10 days, and I ran 10 miles in Clove Lake Park. That was that was a picture of me. I looked terrible. I was you know, fast, doing a lot of fasting at that period. I Got saw this thin. picture. You saw that picture. Rory saw the picture. And, you know, some guy who was a friend of mine thought he was helping us. And, you know, we had Rory. Well, when that, when that, picture, that, that picture was in the Staten Island advance? Or was it was it published somewhere? It, you know, it was on, all over the internet for a while. It was on the internet. And some guy put on there on the internet, if this is what a guy looks like raw food eats, I certainly don't want to be that way. You know, the guy didn't realize uh, right. I, I was fasting. I was into, really into fasting. Right, right. I could have ran fa- further than 10 miles. Once he, that's, if you're an experienced faster, what happens? It usually, you know what the keto flu is? When somebody switches to a ketogenic diet, you feel like you got the flu, you don't get, you don't, you're not good, you know. No matter you change your diet, you change your dietary lifestyle for good or for bad. You're always going to have some kind of a symptom. Right. Something's always going to, no matter which direction you're going. So you go to the keto flu. Uh, you know, so people think that's a form of detox. Normally, it's because it takes a couple, maybe a week or two. But same thing with the Atkins diet. It took a couple of weeks where you start to burn body fat as a primary fuel. If you ever got there, a lot of people never get there. They never get to it. So what happens? But once you're an experienced, once you're a faster and you've done a lot of long-term fasting and you, you know, you go into a short fast, you don't even have to fast 10 days. All I had to do when I did that, all I had to do was walk. I started out a walk, I broke into a jog and boom, I knew I was into burning body fat. You have tremendous energy. People think you're not going to have any energy on a fast. You have a readily, and all you need is a little bit of fat. You don't need a lot of fat. If you have an ounce of fat, you could probably run 15 miles. I was very thin. I had a little bit of, you could look at the serratus magnus here where your ribs are. If you have a little bit of flesh covering that, you've got enough to fast 10, 15 days. I don't recommend anybody try that unless they know what they're doing. I did a lot of fasting under extreme conditions. I was already thin. And I was doing a lot of fasting even when I got married until I promised my wife I wouldn't do it again because she didn't, she, no, she thought I was... That's the cycle that people need to break through. So most people think you need food for energy. 
No. Right? They need their coffee in the morning or they need a meal or they get all oh, that's not energy. Angry. That's yeah. not energy through the right. Krebs cycle. That's, that's stimulation through the adrenal glands. Listen, when you have elevated cortisol, which is stress hormone, if you have that continued, and I've been through that, I know what it can do to you. It, did, it can do a lot of damage. If you have elevated cortisol, it's going on for a long time, it's going on for a while, and you don't come out of the fight or flight response and you're living in stress, it's going to eventually affect your thyroid. You're going to end up with an underactive thyroid or Hashimoto's disease or something. Don't forget, your thyroid and your, and your adrenal glands are brothers and sisters. They're not twins, but they're brother and sister for right. sure. They're stre- you can stress both of them. But when you come out on that other side of it, then all of a sudden you're more efficient and have more energy on less food. Like today all I had was juice, right? right? And it's 341 and we're rolling through right. and that's what makes me more efficient. So if I had a lunch, I'd be sitting here, I'd be dull, I wouldn't be asking you the right questions. It'd be, yeah. Yeah, That's the cycle. Don't, people don't believe that. They don't believe that. Of course, they're telling you know, they go, their own experience when they skip. That's why a lot of guys that lift weights and eat five meals a day and eat a lot of protein, they skip breakfast. They, they're they ready to pass out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, it's my blood sugar went down. I need protein to keep my blood sugar up. That's what they, that's what doctors, some, some doctors, not all doctors. Listen, I'm not maligning all doctors. I know some really great doctors. Of course. But yeah. like that guy I run into in the health store, I mean... God forgive me, but that man was a bubblehead. He didn't look too good either, nah, huh? <laughs> let's let's jump into another question here. Um, juice fast while breastfeeding a toddler. Bad idea or can it work just fine? It can work just fine. Yeah, someone could juice fast and breastfeed? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You don't think... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go on a... I'm, I'm not talking to go on a six-month juice fast. Right. If you have a, an issue... And you go on a you go on a juice fast for two, three, four days, you'll get by. Yeah. Meaning like you're not feeling well or something and you want yeah. to juice fast. No, you but, can do that. Yeah, but nothing over No, no, no. Not like over ten days. No, or, no. Okay. I mean you could maybe you could do it. Might be able to go long, but why try? You don't wanna you don't wanna experiment when you're dealing with a new baby. Yeah. And it'll affect the breast milk in some way. Yep. So if you if you awaken well, too much toxicity. I don't know about that either, because when my wife when we had my wife was really heavy into breastfeeding. So I mean uh, she was ha- she was, with my first daughter, she was having trouble producing um, enough milk because of a personal reason I don't want to go into. Right. So I told her, start drinking some carrot juice, carrot juice. And she was squirting milk all over the place, putting them in bottles, <laughs> and it was coming out all over the place. So, no, the juices definitely help people with milk. I mean, she was, forget about it. Oh, my God. So, juice will fortify breast milk. Just don't juice fast for too long because yeah, it might send you into a place of detox. Three, well, listen, days. if it's not an emergency, don't do it. You know what I mean? If you're doing it because you, you heard somebody on the internet saying juice fasting is the most wonderful experience, wait till after the baby you stop breastfeeding. If it's an emergency and a short juice fast, maybe you might want to consult with somebody who knows what they're telling you. It's, it's okay. And by the way, if someone's puts themselves in a deep state of detoxification and they don't feel well and they need self-care and they right. need to take it and you have a baby, right. you're probably not going to be there for your baby if you're going to need naps and no. body work. You know, no, I mean, it's... No, no. Um, in general, I, 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 I like to answer that question, maybe a little change the answer a little bit. Unless I wouldn't do it. Can it be done safely? Yes, it can, but don't do it. Right. You know what I'm trying Just to say? Because of the variables. Yeah, there's too many variables. You don't yeah. know the person. You don't know who, a lot of times I'm talking to people on the phone. I don't know who I'm talking to. I'm a really, uh, you know, I got to be careful. There's a lot of people calling me up. They got real emotional, psychological issues. I got to be careful what I tell them. 
Remember that girl that we helped out? She, I was watching her stories and she was in Ecuador. And thank you for helping me with that because she was talking about doing an intuitive water fast. And I could tell from the books that she was showing that she was looking at some very antiquated stuff from like Arnold Errett and, you know, and I could tell how she was applying it. And I thought, oh, I thought I, I really don't want to watch this girl kill herself on uh, on social media, right? And she basically did the water fast. So had, frightening sometimes. Yeah, you know? she had a tremendous experience. And when she broke the fast, she did it wrong. And she went temporarily blind. She had severe muscle spasms. She was out on a, where she couldn't walk. She was curled up on the floor. And like she was with a bunch of other you know, hippie kind of raw food How people on a farm. If, you, if you're on a 30, 40 day fast. Well, she only did, I don't know how many she did. I think she did 20 days. I, you I break the fast room, there's a good chance you end up in an emergency room. A very yeah. good chance. Breaking the fast is actually the most important part of a, a water fast. Yeah. That's one thing about juice cleansing. I wouldn't even call it fasting. You don't have to, you, you're not going to really mess yourself up if you break the, you know, the fast room. It's a, you know, it's basically a, because juices is really liquefied food. It's all based on what you stop, what you're leaving out. And the juice is a liquefied food. It goes right through your stomach. It's absorbed into your system. Very little digestive, any at all. And you're getting those vitamins and minerals and those enzymes. So there isn't like, well, like being on a water fast. If three or four days on a water fast, your system kind of shuts down. When it shuts down, it's taking all that energy that you use for, you know, for... Moving around, and now there's people out there telling people to go on a water fast to exercise as much as you can because you're losing weight faster, you're burning up all the endogenous material. No, that's not my estimation. That's not a good idea. I don't believe in that. I believe that you have to, you know, rest. I mean, you can move around, but if somebody is really, really sick, that energy you're squandering could be enough to have a total disaster on your hands. And if you end up in the emergency room, they might kill you if they oh. don't know what's going on. Yeah, no. And they're probably not going to no, know what's going they, on. No, they're not going to know what's going on. If you want yeah. to fast, they, and they give you the wrong thing intravenously, your heart could stop. It's really scary. Yeah, it's happened to some people. Oh, yeah, I know. I people, know cases where it's happened. People we know. Went to the know. emergency room, they, they never came out. Let's That's, jump into another question here. Right. How much daily fruit would be okay for non-athletic female but doing colonics twice a week? For non-athletic female. Yeah. Obviously, we can't see her body. We don't know if she's heavy. We don't know. Let's let's assume that she's just non-athletic, meaning she doesn't go to the gym, but let's assume that she's not. And she's just getting into a healthy diet? Well, we don't know. This is is the problem with Instagram, but we don't know. But um, I'm just looking at that tiny little profile picture there, and I'm going to guess that she's not in bad shape. She's just not athletic. Right. Well... I, I would say she could eat as much as uh, three to five pieces of fruit spaced, spaced uh, throughout the day. Because, well, I don't know the kind of conditions she's in. Yeah. For an athletic person, when I was training for the marathons, and everything, I, I, you know, in the beginning, I was just eating a lot of salads and drinking some juice. And I used to train maybe 50 to 70 miles a week. And when it came time to run long distance, I didn't have the fuel, I didn't have the gasoline. So... Uh, people say, oh, no, you can't eat too much fruit. So I started eating a lot of fruit. Forget about it. Very rebellious the, of you. Huh? <laughs> Very rebellious oh, of you. the best thing I ever did. Immediately you know? starts eating more I don't fruit. Believe, I also don't believe people should be eating tons of fruit and they're not doing nothing. They're addicted to the, you know, to the rush they get from the fruit. The blood sugar goes up and down. You know? There's people out there telling people that. And there's, you know, there's a lot of you know, people telling people they were fruitarians for 15, 20 years. I, I don't believe that. They just ate fruit 100%. 
fruitarianism is huge right now. The Woodstock Fruit Festival just happened. I was going to go up for a day, but the person I was going with, uh, his car broke down, so we didn't get to go up there. Kyle from my office went up there. Uh, I don't know how many of these people are in life 100% fruitarian, but there's there's quite a few of them. Now. I, I'm surprised that it's such a popular movement. Well, and, there's a lot of people been recommending uh, fruitarianism. You know, I um, I do eat a lot of fruit. You know what I mean? But how much do you eat in a day? Well, it all depends upon what my activity level is. I'm not going to put gas in my car when it's got a full tank of gas. Right. So if I haven't been exercising, I haven't been exercising lately because I injured my piriformis muscle, and uh, so I, uh, I might eat. I could eat five or six pieces of fruit, but if I was ex training hard, I'd be eating a lot of fruit. You would double that or more. Oh yeah, I, I, I yeah. Mean, don't forget a half hour after if you just ran five miles, ten miles long distance. Half hour after that, you don't secrete insulin, so your body's, you're not going to, blood sugar's not going to go up and down. It's just going to suck it right up. Pull it right up, burn it up. Pull it right up. Uh, do you think it's better to work out fasted or carved up on fruit first? No, I, I always worked out on an empty stomach. Empty I'm loaded stomach. from the night before. I'm loaded from the day before. So you do your workout, it would be the next day in the morning or whatever, before your body started getting oh, yeah, hungry. Absolutely. That's yeah. the best time to work out. You, right. you, you raise your, uh, when you do that, you're gonna. It's gonna raise your testosterone. When you exercise after a fast, and you do some kind of resistance exercise, or some, and you know, if you're doing your test, that's what keeps your testosterone up as you get older. Mm -hmm. That guy, uh, non Amon Ra, that's what he does. He fasts. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people think he's a fraud. I don't think. So. They thought he was full of it, but I'll tell you, there's a guy um, that he just put together the Canadian Fruit Festival. His name is Ted Carr. I saw him in the early days on Instagram and, you know, he, he looked all, he was like eating a lot of fruit. He looked clear. He was a skinny young guy and, you know, he looked healthy. He looked good. And then I saw a picture of him the other day and he was stacked, just muscle, like all this muscle on him. So I thought, oh, what is he about right now? Still on a fruitarian diet, only eats one meal a day and takes some barley grass powder, super clean. But he does that fasting. He works out fasted. He does the intermittent fast and he stimulates himself that way. And yeah, he's stacked. what else is he doing? From what I see, where's he getting? Where's he getting all that that massive growth? You got to be getting enough calories. He's he said he's eating more calories through fruit. So fruit, some greens, and a green powder, I believe. Oh, he's taking a green powder. He's taking a like a yeah then a green he's powder. A well, so, well, there, yeah. There, okay. There was a guy down. There's a guy down in Florida. I have a great deal of respect for him. He's very scientifically knowledge, and he said he was a fruitarian for twenty years. He's an herbalist. All those guys are sucking up all those herbs, you know, they're getting all the stuff that you would be getting from eating vegetables. Well, I guess in a pure sense, he's not a fruitarian, but he's eating a super clean diet that's like 90-something percent fruit, you know, mm -hmm. and he's still able to put on weight like that, which I just well, thought was interesting. he's getting the calories. Yeah, he's getting he the calories. And he's stimulating probably testosterone production and, you know, by the fasting, right? He works out with weight? Yeah, yeah. He looks fantastic and he eats mm -hmm. a clean diet. I was very impressed. I was like, yeah, wow, I hadn't seen this guy in a possible. while. That's possible. Yeah, I'll show you who he is after. He's uh, He seems pretty interesting. So. How old the guy is he? He might be in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah, he could be that old. I don't actually know how old he is. I only see him online. I've never met him. So. He's not using no protein powders or nothing? No, 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 nothing like that. He's very much in the mindset of, you know, fuel your body with fruit, you know, and some minerals and some greens, but like, yeah. but in a, in a no, very you, purest way. You could do that. No, you yeah, you could do that for sure. All right, let's jump into another question. 
How do I detox from taking antibiotics that I took to kill parasites and worms? Parasites are a real problem. You know, a lot of times I run into a lot. And uh, I just had a, in the last uh, month, I told, um, I mean, I, there's all kinds of herbs you could take out there for parasites that work well. Yeah. But they don't work fast enough. You know? They don't work fast. And I find a lot of the herbs to be very irritating for they, people. Because I give people treatments while they're doing their parasite cleanses. Yeah, and yeah. I find the herbs are causing more of a problem than not. There's some of them like like black walnut and stuff. They're poisonous. Yeah, and you're taking that for people weeks don't at a really, time. You're right. Yeah. And then they, then they have symptoms. And they go, oh, I think I'm detoxing. And they might have rashes or something. And I go, I think it's actually the herbs that your yeah. body's throwing off. Yeah. I'm, I, that's why I said, you're 100% right, I agree with you. A lot of people, if you don't have parasites, you take the parasite formula, you could have a sick stomach. I've yeah. seen that happen. And so I, I tell people to, uh, you know, go see a guy like a tropical, some tropical, uh, tropical disease specialist, and I warn him, he's going to put you on a very strong antibiotic, and after that, you, you deal, we'll deal with that. But you want to get rid of them. Real, most people want to get rid of it real quickly. Yeah, and then, yeah. in a way, they should. They should get, just get through it and get back to your your right. clean lifestyle. I remember. Uh, when I believe that one hundred percent. I was working with this with this client for like a year, and I was a new therapist. I wasn't. It wasn't my. I wasn't. I was no expert. I was learning how to do colonics. And uh, the studio I was working at, she had like all these always gas and digestive upset. And they were like, well, you know, you're cleansing. And we cleaned up her diet. Food combining helps a little. Then we're doing colonics. A lot of them. A lot of them. I see her all the time. You know, colonics. And the colonics would make her feel better for 24 hours. And then she'd come back in a week. So then finally, you know, and they were like, well, it's just cleansing. You got to just keep doing it and doing it. Yeah, now, that's the answer to everything. Yeah. And then she went, she went to Dr. Kevin Cahill. Right. Found, he found that it was pinworms. Put her on, a, um, put her on an antibiotic. Two weeks later, she came back. Her abdomen was flat. There was no gas. There was no yep. bloat. And I went, I remember as a practitioner, I went, okay, I don't like antibiotics. No, but look at how we did a year of cleansing work. Now, luckily, the diet and the clients, they, they helped her body in other ways. You yeah, know but the I mean? bacteria were having a party. Yeah, they were, they, the they, parasites were having a party. You were feeding them too. They never left. Yeah, I know. And then the antibiotics knocked them out. She did great from there. Right. And I thought, oh, boy. All right, See, I gotta... I'm, I'm not, a lot of people think that I'm totally against doctors now, not the case at all. Right. I think you have to have discretion. You have to have, you have to know when to, you know, when to go to a doctor, let them treat you, and when not to. Or you might have to go to a doctor. Doctors in general are good at diagnostics, emergency medical treatment, and, uh, oh, diagnosing a problem. Yeah. But so when it comes to uh, treating chronic disease, I don't believe you should be treating chronic disease with medication. I think that's when your body has to detoxify your body, change your lifestyle. I think it's very important to change your lifestyle. A lot of people say, oh, I would like to, but I can't. They don't realize there's a major psychological component to hunger that you can overcome in a, couple, in a lot of cases in a couple of months. By leaving. And a lot of people say, well, I cheat every once in a while. When somebody tells me they cheat uh, you know, on weekends, they, I know they're never going to get through it. In right. three or four months, they'll be, they'll be off the radar. It's right. just the way it is. I know. Yeah, it just awakens the the whole food drama again, and right. then they're doing the same thing. I'm doing. I'm coaching people sometimes and answering questions for people on Instagram, and it's been the same question for like over and over, over and, and over and over again. I get it. I was that person a little bit. I understand. Well, I, I, you're I, very knowledgeable now. You're knowledgeable because of experience. You know, listen. You could read all the books in the world. You could, you know, have all the knowledge, head knowledge. If you don't, if you haven't experienced some of it. How much do you really know how to talk to somebody that gets into a real dilemma? 
But if you have the experience, somebody calls you up and says, you know, so I'm on a 10-day fast or whatever. I know what to tell them. I've been there numerous times. I'm saying I have all the answers, but there's only so many experiences that you could really have on a fast. Yeah. That, you know, in general, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you could read about fasting, you're blue in the face, blue in the face and sound like a fasting expert, but if you never did it, you don't know what it's like to feel after 20 days on water. You don't know. And the first time you did it, you could feel pretty, could be a pretty scary feeling. Right. And of course, if you're doing 20 days on water and the guy and somebody sends you to the emergency room, they made two mistakes. Number biggest mistake was sending to the emergency room. Right. But the number one mistake is that you didn't evaluate that person. They wasn't emotionally, psychologically prepared to go on a fast. That's the thing. You can't panic at that no. point. If something. If, if you don't have working. the knowledge, you shouldn't be doing it. Half the times, the reason why there's so much confusion, it's not about what you're doing. It's about what you're leaving out, and you, can you survive what you're doing? You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you screw up on a fast, if you survive, it was a successful fast. And most people, there's a lot of people that were really good at supervising people on fast. It's really not that complicated, but a lot of these people think, you know, you just keep going. They check your vital signs, your blood pressure, and all that, you know. And there was a, a Dr. Scott, the guy in Cleveland, he used to give you, some of these guys give you a blood test because the blood test could be indicative, indicative that you're getting into distress. But not always. There was somebody that was on a fast that was getting blood tests, and they died. So fasting, you want to err on the side of caution. I mean, I would never put anybody on a long fast, that, you know, unless I was sure, I was 100% positive that I had a very good idea what the, if they were going to get into trouble. I would never fast. That guy in Maryland, that guy fasted... One one girl, I told her not to go on a fast because she had emotional, severe emotional psychological problems and she was overweight and she thought that was a panacea that she was going to lose weight and be beautiful. Well, her father went and got her and she, he, they, she, he called me in the car. He was coming home to New York and he said he was going to send the cops down here. And I told him, no, nah, don't do that. I, now I think about it, I should have let him do it. I said, I could help the radicals. I helped you through it. But never should have put that person on there. Never. I fasted a girl on Staten Island, took her out of South Beach Psychiatric Center. I went to the house every day. I knew because she was going to listen to me 100%. After 18 days, she passed eight pounds. She told me, called me up and said, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm having a baby. I said, well, are you, were you pregnant? She said, I don't know. You don't know. I ran to the house and said, oh my God, what, what's going on here? So I didn't know she, you know, she was being intimate with people, I guess, you know what I mean? So I ran to the house. And she was psychologically, um, yeah, yeah, she, she, yeah. She, okay, so she but, was not. So she wasn't, you know, she had some issues. Nice person, but overweight. She looked, and she, now I thought about it, raced through my mind. She did have a belly and looked like she could have been pregnant. Yeah. I said, oh my God, how could I miss that? So I went to the house and, uh, you know, I went upstairs into the bathroom and she was like in a sweating, in a cold sweat. She was sweating like a pig. And she said, look in the toilet bowl. I looked in the toilet bowl. I looked. There was at least eight pounds, at least eight pounds of fecal material in there. I had to take the plunger, take the stick out, and I'm trying to break it up to go down the toilet bowl. And she was bleeding. It ripped her up just trying to pass the stool. That's a, that's detoxification in practice. And right what there. happened from that day from that day on? 
she was probably normal as she was going to get. She had from that day on, she was like a different person. Mm -hmm. Where that stuff came from, and she and she didn't. She, I, I think she. I don't remember. I don't want to. I think she maybe had one or two bowel movements during that fast. You know. Uh, well, let's take one more question. You know, because I got, well, go all you want. I was sitting here, like my neck's starting to hurt because I was sitting here weird trying to fit into the camera for uh, for YouTube. All uh, right. So let's see what we got here. How do you stay warm in the winter eating raw vegan? And well, we'll take that as the first question. It's a two-part question, but right. I want to know how you stay warm in the winter. Well, when you're a raw vegan, you know, if, in my experience, if you're eating right, you, you're going to be lean. You're not going to have a lot of body fat on you. Body fat is like insulation, right? Then it also has to do with the amount of inflammation you have. A lot of people eating, they, they're, they're warm even in the coldest weather. Of course, they have a lot of intracellular gas pressure, which generates a lot of heat in your body. You ever see these big, heavy people walking around in the winter in a T-shirt? Yep. And they, you know, they think that makes them super healthy. So if you don't feel, if you're a skinny person on a, a thin person on a raw food diet, and um, you're gonna feel cold than another person that has eaten cooked food because of the radiant heat. Plus, if you're in the winter, if you're a raw fooder. I certainly wouldn't take uh, all the vegetables out of the refrigerator that are real cold and put them in the juice and drink them cold because just like warm food will give your body heat, cold food will actually make your body have to, um, you know, it's going to affect you. Your body will respond, though. Your body will bring your temperature up. But what I found out after all these years in the cold and living in New York, the cold isn't a, isn't a real problem for me because I know how... can. I'll put it this way. It could be 110 degrees. I could walk around with this thing on and not, not bother me because I think my body's pretty efficient. I could take warm weather. But in the cold, if I don't eat, I have no problem. If I get up in the morning, I haven't eaten yet, I have no problem. I'm just like anybody else. But once I start eating the raw food, that's not heat, that's not doesn't create radiant heat, and then your body has to uh, produce some energy to utilize that food, then I'll feel, I'll feel cold. So I just, I just, you know, I wear clothes. I don't, and I don't overdo it either. I got a beautiful Irish wool sweater that I wear in cold weather. I mean, it's like, it's like being in a sleeping bag. That's all I need. I put on my Irish wool sweater. It's got a, you know, something like this. That's why I like these things. Because in the cold weather, I put things, something like this on. I pull it up. The heat can't escape. Mm -hmm. You're containing, you're holding your body heat in. So it doesn't take very, very much. If you're cold, you're on a raw food diet, you got to take a look. If you're just, you're just getting into it and you're detoxing, yeah, you're going to be cold. And anybody that has cancer should never let themselves get a chill. That's a major, Is major, that right? So yes. What happens? So should somebody... Because your body contracts and the cancers, you're making it on a cellular level, your body changes. And what happens if you're cold? That means your body doesn't have, doesn't have enough vital force maybe to keep you warm. So I tell everybody that if you have cancer, make sure you keep you stay well-dressed. If you get really cold, get in a drawer, a hot bed, get in the bath or take a, a hot shower. Or run your hands. I always believe that if you, if you run, pull up your sleeves and run your, run your wrist under hot water mm -hmm. in the real cold weather. It'll warm you right up because you're circulating, you're warming up your blood as it circulates. So for detoxification purposes, would uh, 
would cryotherapy and cold immersion be out for people with cancer then? You wouldn't recommend those. No, I wouldn't recommend uh-huh. that. I've never, I've never been in a, a cryotherapy thing. But oh, you have to come by and, and yeah, get a I, session with us. I wouldn't recommend that. Though. Not for cancer. You know, the reason why I wouldn't recommend, because I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest with right. you. Right. But I would, you know, just in general thinking, I would say it might not be a good idea. It's a beautiful systemic detox process because of the cellular contraction and also... Uh, um, it boosts immunity immediately. The immune system gets triggered and naturally yeah, boosts that. up. Yeah, so have um, you ever had anybody have any complaints that did a cryotherapy? Anybody ever have any complaints? Um, there's people that psychologically don't like it, and there's some people that either went in there. Uh, there's some people that my I suspect went in with uh, some lotion on them, or some type of, or they were too sweaty. And they would get like a little burn on their skin or something like that. But aside from that, nobody's ever complained. No, no one's ever had a real problem with cryotherapy. Um, it's a very surface treatment. So it's the skin gets the communication that it's negative 250 degrees. And you're only in there for a limited amount of time. How long are you and, in there? Th- uh, one to three minutes, depending on whatever the person wants. I mean, the, the, the chamber, you, we can get somebody out of it in uh, one second. But you say pain reduction. How long does the pain reduction last? Does it last any length of time? Yeah. Three hours, four hours, ten days? It, I mean, look, if you, if you have a problem, like if your spine, if, if your neck is out or you have an injury or something, you know, it, it might creep back in by the next morning and then, you, you know, as your body's healing it, but it drops the inflammation very quickly. Yeah, I could see that. So that quickly. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. I yeah. understand that. Well. First time I did it, I knew immediately. I walked out of this the chamber and I went, oh, this isn't a fad. I thought this is this is legit. I felt it in my body. I said I felt I just felt my chemistry changing, my blood flow changing. I felt so good afterwards, and I thought we definitely want to have this. Wow. Um, How does it feel when you're in there? You know, do you actually feel like you're freezing? In the beginning, yes. But this is the part I was you know, like the first few times you do it, yes, but. And maybe not, like, you know, it depends on the on the health of the person, like the vitality of the person. And it depends on how much you've eaten and how much sleep you've had. If it's like, if you've not had a lot of sleep, some people have, it feels colder to some people, you know, it's felt colder to me. If I go in there right now feeling amazing, I just sit there, I'll talk to you, it's like nothing's going on, but I've done a hundred of these. And, you know, and, I, and I'm not, I had plenty of sleep, you so I'm fine. a hundred times? Probably a hundred, yeah, because I've I wow. run so many sessions, you know, and I... I Go in there myself. Is somebody done. observing them while they're in there? Is somebody no? Someone's always present. Yes, and you know we're speaking to the people that are in there. Yeah, someone's always present. Um, but one of the things that happens from repetitive cold exposure is the body builds up more mitochondria in the fat. So the white fat turns to brown fat, the because it's dense with mitochondria. So the body will start to produce heat naturally without shivering and moving like it'll just create more heat naturally and that's where the weight loss part comes in everyone's like how does when we first started people would be like does this really help me lose weight and i would say i i don't really think so i said i'm sorry i'm not going to tell you something that's not it true does, though. it does help you lose weight well really. it does i know it makes I, I see where it could yeah because what happens is you start building more mitochondria then your body starts using calories more effectively and you start using more energy more effectively and you can build up more heat more effectively so that's why you see these Canadian guys walking around in t-shirts. You know, part of it is they might eat a lot of meat and they have some insulation. Oh, but they do up there. Yeah. Up there. But the other part of it is with the with the repetitious exposure, they probably produce heat more effectively than somebody that lives in Florida and now all of a sudden they're standing in my cryo chamber. How much does it cost to get in there? Uh, for a single session, it's $45. And then we have packages that brings it down even more, yeah. But it's great. This pe- yeah, is, are people using it? Is it? They using it all the time. Athletes, people that are in pain, 
a lot of people that want to come in and get a photo because <laughs> you know it's like all this nitrogen gas it looks kind of cool for instagram so a lot of people come in for that reason and uh you know we do have a very um dense uh dense amount of paperwork just so you can make sure that there's no contraindications on there active cancer is one nobody with active cancer is allowed in there uh, but i always wondered if that was more of just a liability issue uh you know and they're just kind of like putting it under the umbrella to make sure that there's no issues or I think that's what it based on what you're telling me I would say that's what it is you know yeah but you don't think someone with cancer should be doing cold immersion because of the reasons you talked about earlier to be on a safe side I would say yeah you know why yeah. take a chance exactly you know? yeah it's that's not... the way I look at it you know there now, could be other factors that I'm not aware of you know now for a healthy person though the um that systemic uh, um, contraction is amazing. I realized from a detoxification perspective, it's like just, squeezing out a sponge. Exactly. Yeah, and you would always tell me that about the cold weather and why everybody gets sick in the winter. And oh, I thought, yeah. and I realized what my body was doing. You know, it's yeah. not just the blood vessels that contract. You know, but like all the blood gets drawn to the core and all the the all the tissues. I mean, you know, you feel it. You see your nipples get oh, tight. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's absolutely. like, and yeah, and I, and I went, oh wait a second, this is not just for recovery and inflammation reduction or an immune boost. And I was like, this is a systemic detoxification practice. You know, and I thought that's fascinating. Pretty sounds like it's a pretty amazing process. You know, it really is. A, wow, it's pretty. You know, nothing is perfect. You know, there's nothing out there that's really a panacea. You know, you hear about people talk about water fasting. They they heard about some guy dying. They didn't hear about that thousands and hundreds of thousands of people had miraculous recoveries. You know, and of course, in the hands of the wrong, of a, the wrong person or ignorant person, you can have trouble. You know, with anything. Yeah. Yeah, if it's not done no. in the right protocol. Yeah, and everybody's different. You know, it's funny. Everybody, people want to kill themselves all the time at our studio. There's people that come into the studio and they get angry. Their blood pressure will be something where, you know, Holly, my wife, she's, she works in the ER. She's an ER nurse. So I'll, I'll send her, I'll say, look at this blood pressure. And she always says, people in New York are walking around. She's like, they should be dropping dead all the time. The blood pressure in New York compared to Oregon is so high all the time, but everybody's either on Adderall. Young girls will have blood pressure that you think they're going to drop dead. They're on Adderall, all coughed up, but they'll get mad. And I'll, they'll say, well, we'll take the blood pressure two or three times. I give them a little essential Adderall, oils. I, I've seen Adderall screw up so many people. Oh, yeah. I have no idea how bad that is. But I try to calm them down. I try to bring the blood pressure down. Why are all these young kids taking Adderall to, 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 so they could get better grades? What is it? Some of it is that. Depression? Some of it is work pressure. Some of it is just attention deficit because of phones and like nobody could focus on anything. You know, so. But, uh, you know, they get mad and I say, look, your blood pressure is too high. And I'll tell them, I'll say, I'll never hurt you. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to put you in here and risk your life. And. And then, then now nah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everybody wants to come in, or people will have, see on the on the release form, and they'll look at something, and they'll say, "Well, I kind of have this, but should I just put no?" And I'm like, "No, you have it. Put yes, and don't get a session. Don't kill yourself here. Stop trying to kill yourself in my studio." But for a healthy person to go in a cryo chamber, the rich get richer. It's next level. You just go up. Shall we go outside? It's like a beautiful day, yeah, and I, I have it stuck in here for. Almost three hours now. It's all right. Yeah, we can step outside. I'm probably going to edit this podcast down uh, a little bit. So probably podcast listeners will be hearing maybe two hours worth. Well, thank you for having me out here. Yeah, well, a lot of fun. I loved it. Yeah, we'll do this again in yeah, the future on my next trip. Or maybe we'll do it in Oregon uh, because hopefully you'll come out and visit at some point. It's a wonderland out there. 